Hello, and welcome back to a series of horrors podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into horror movie franchises for horror fans and foes alike. I'm Jackie from Canada. And I am Jeff from America. And we are back. Finally. But like at the same time, you've heard some episodes from us, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we came back and then we went away again. And now we're back again. A more permanent comeback this time is the hope. Just like a killer in most of our favorite franchises, we never die. (laughs) Yes, the next time we'll come back from space. (laughs) Oh dear, I I don't really want that commute, but okay. (laughs) We're running out, you know, it's either going to be space or like another dimension (laughs) or multiverses are popular now. We might be finding a multiverse way. Well, we've been gone for a little bit, but we did get to record our Scream 2 episode last year when we had tried to return around this time. So you probably have gotten to hear that episode by now and maybe even heard a little update from us explaining what happened and why we've been gone for so long but this Scream 3 episode is the first one that we're recording in 2023 so that's exciting it is very exciting it started the year off right yeah. with Scream 3 my least favorite of the franchise although I enjoyed it more today than I usually do I was in the opposite mood because I remember liking the movie when I saw it in the theater 20 some odd years ago whatever it's been and as I'm watching I'm like I don't like this as much as I remember <laughs> liking it back then see I think for once I got to go into this movie with the thought of oh I get to make fun of this after (laughs) so it was more enjoyable for me as opposed to just like (laughs) okay we just have to get through that one so we can get to the next one or like finish the trilogy or whatever point it was now I'm nervous because I also remember liking four in the movie theater when I watched that one four is good because there's like great fan service to four and the plot actually was thought through (laughs) unlike this one we'll get into it this one had fan service but I don't know to what end yeah like just Jane Silent Bob is in this for some reason. Oh, boy. Should I, should I start burning fun facts or no? Because like... Well, you can. Some of the fun facts... Well, most of the fun facts are just like, what happened to the production of this movie? <laughs> Why did we get this movie? Why is Sydney not in the daycare center? <laughs> okay. So what happened originally was Kevin Williamson, the writer of the first two Scream films, he wrote a... Like a treatment or something? A treatment, yeah. For what he wanted for Scream 3, but at the time he was just too insanely busy with Dawson's Creek. He was doing his first director debut. Uh, Do you remember that? Like Teaching Mrs. Tingle? That was him? That was him. Yeah. With Josh Hartnett? It was the guy from 7th Heaven. He played Matt on 7th Heaven and I don't know what else he's been in. He was in Boogeyman, if you remember that movie, I think. I think he was was the main guy in Boogeyman. Don't quote me on that. I saw that in theaters in 2000, whatever, when it came out. So who knows if I'm remembering that one, right? But anyway, backtracking to Kevin Williamson here. He's too busy. He can't actually write Scream 3. So they bring in someone else to write the script. They give this man two weeks to come up with the script. He knows nothing about the Scream franchise. So he just writes the script in two weeks. He hands it in. They're like, okay, cool. We're going to start shooting this script. So Kevin Williamson, he had an outline that he wanted the guy to follow. That outline gets thrown out. You guys just writing something completely else. Now, the fun fact section on IMDb is a little spotty. I don't know the exact details of like why that line was thrown out. But one of the rumors is that Matt Lillard was supposed to return for this film. Yeah, that's as a cult leader. Yeah, I I heard about this the other day is that he's a cult leader or that idea became the show the following with. I didn't know about that. Kevin Bacon. So that whatever idea was of that cult leader ruling from jail, Mm -hmm. supposedly rolled into the following with some show I heard of, but didn't watch. Okay. Well, me just writing a little note on the side of all my other notes, the following, Jackie, go watch that. 
Anyways, but back to this movie. Stu was supposed to come back. He was supposed to be a cult leader who basically had gotten into the minds of all these Woodsboro High kids that they were going to be a group of ghost face and they're all going to go after Sydney. Unfortunately, the Columbine massacre happened while they were in production for this movie. And basically because of that, they got a lot of notes about the movie because violence against teens in movies was just something that wasn't going to fly at the time. So they had to scrap the whole entire concept of going back to high school because they decided that there could be no violence that included high schoolers in the movie. And then they also tried to tame down so much. They asked Wes Craven to have no blood in the movie. And he was like, yeah, no, fuck that. (laughs) There's very little blood in this movie. But he's like, it is a horror movie. There has to be some blood. And then also, spoiling the end of this movie, but hopefully you've seen it. It came out in, what, 99? (laughs) Or was it 2000? Yeah, and if you've ever listened to us, we spoil. Yeah, we're going to spoil left and right. Uh, But anyways, Mm -hmm. so the reason that there's only one killer in this movie was because of the Columbine massacre having two killers, and they thought that, once again, they did not want that homage. So basically, this entire movie got destroyed because of the Columbine massacre. Yeah, like, you can never wear a trench coat ever again. Like, the black, black, black leather trench coats are out of business now. I watched... City of Angels for the first time this week and yeah oh, oh you've never seen it before oh I'd never oh. seen it because I so I did not realize that I had like never willingly sat down for a Nick Cage movie like I've seen movies that he is in technically like I've seen oh we so, must watch Face Off I've seen pieces of his movies like Face Off and that oh. sort of thing but like the like classic Nick Cage movies I've only seen pieces of the only movies that I've seen him in that I've seen all the way through I went through his IMDB last night or something and I'm like okay I've seen Kick-Ass and I've seen Fast Times of Ridge <laughs> Classic Nicolas Cage movies, as you know. I think he was still Coppola in Fast Times on Ridge High. I think so too. But yeah, so yeah. point being, I don't watch Nick Cage. But anyways, I finally watched A City of Angels and I was just like, what is with all the trench coats? Are they going to murder people? Especially when they're all standing on the beach. <laughs> What's going to happen? I don't know. I don't have that memory of it because I watched it new. It was a style at the time. Like, trench coats were cool. It was that ending that made me like say, fuck this movie and I'm done. Like, I'm just <laughs> Like, this is the worst fucking, what the hell? What are you doing to me, movie? I sat here for two hours and change for you to do this to me? I felt betrayed and angry. Oh my gosh. I listened to another podcast cover City of Angels before I actually watched it, so I knew about this ending scene. I just laughed for the entire thing, because I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh man, if you'd have told me you were going to do that, I said, I would have told you not to listen to it. Watch the movie first. (laughs) No, it made it better, because then I was just laughing the whole time, and then I wasn't just, like, mad. (laughs) I was furious. Oh my gosh. I think the only movie movie that I could not keep my mouth shut too angry about was My Sister's Deeper. If you've ever seen that movie, it's based on a book. It was with Cameron Diaz and Abigail Breslin, I think is her last name. Anyways, that is somebody. It's a movie about basically this little girl decides that she's going to sue her parents for the rights to her body because basically she was a designer baby that was born because her elder sister was had all sorts of cancer from the time that she was two or something like that. So they get her genetic kind of identical thing child so that she can donate blood and this and that whatever and it's she's always having to do these things and now she has to donate a kidney and she's decided I'm gonna sue fuck this I deserve the rights to my own body is what it seems like but then there's the twist in the whole entire book is that it's actually her sister who's forcing her to do this because she wants the right to die and she doesn't want to 
go uh, through it anymore. Doesn't go through anymore. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then the twist in the book, which makes it all like the more meaningful and sad, is that the girl wins the case. She gets the rights to her own body, whatever. And she's in the car going to see her sister to let her know that they won. And she gets hit by a car and killed. And then Chastity ends up donating her kidney anyway. And her sister goes into remission and lives. And it's very sad, but very beautiful at the same time. In the movie, they What's just. What's the point of the rest of the movie? No, wait. I'm, I'm, I haven't seen this movie. And I'm like, all right, why go through the trouble if that's the way you wanted to end the movie? Oh, that's the end of the book. And the way that the book oh, ends. Okay. Yeah, the end of the book is great okay. because it's just like basically the sister reflecting upon like her entire life and sacrifices that her younger sister gave to her. But like in the end, she gets this beautiful life and it's all thanks to her sister. It, it's very sad, but very amusing. In the movie, they're just like, we're just going to go with cancer kills the older sister. Okay. <laughs> like skip all of that. And I just jumped up in the middle of the theater when they're like, and that's the night that Kate died. And I just went, what? Like, I literally stood up in the middle of the theater and screamed. And my friend, like, grabbed me and was like, down. What is wrong with you? But yeah, no, that's one that you'll, like, see on those lists where they're like, what is the worst movie adaptation of a book? And that one's usually at the top. Like, what the fuck? You missed the point of the book. But why don't we go to this lovely movie and it with question mark at the end? This is like the Swiss cheese movie because it's like, there was, like, plot holes everywhere. Yeah. Just for the sake of fooling the audience. It's like a mystery movie that doesn't play fair. That's the thing. So, like, okay, there were so many versions of, the, of this script, as I was saying. So, look, this guy that did not know Scream, he wrote out a script in two weeks, handed that in. And they were just like, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. So then they had like a new guy who was writing the pages and he was literally finishing the pages the day of and handing them the script. And he was basing it kind of off of the middle script, not the Kevin Williamson idea, but like this random guy's script that he had written two weeks. But Wes Craven had to do a bunch of edits on it because he was just like, none of the characters are the characters from the first two films in the script that this person has written. <laughs> Even if he wrote their name, everything about that person is completely different and doesn't make sense for that character. So then Wes Craven's in there giving free rights. So basically, this movie was a clusterfuck. Dewey's very undewey like mm -hmm. Gail is kind of Gail-ish. She's Gail adjacent, I guess. Yeah. And Sydney's like a co-star. She's like a, a doing a cameo in her own movie, which is weird. Like, she absolutely is. So, uh, no, no. Yeah. What's her name? Nev Campbell. Not Naomi Campbell. That's a yeah. model. Anyways. <laughs> hey, that'd have been interesting. But anyway, but no. Yeah, no, Nev Campbell, uh, she was overstressed at the time as well. I forget what movie she she was filming but she was also on party of five so she had i think it was like two or three weeks to be on set and that was it so that's why she's basically just a random background character yeah like most of the scenes she's in she's in by herself yeah and then she vanishes for a little bit because she spends apparently three days in a police station i think or yeah something. that was the other thing they just leave her alone in this detective's office and apparently he has sensitive paperwork just hanging around and she's just like i live here now she moved out from her ranch and lord knows where and comes here to the right precinct in the right place but everywhere where all the characters are. Yeah. It just stays there for like a week or what? Well, probably the movie that only takes place over a couple days, but still. Yeah. And aren't they in supposedly Hollywood, LA? Like, how how yes. on earth do you get the correct precinct? So you went to the one, the one in LA, that one, you know. Just as Dewey's calling her, you know, as always. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to see if there's any other fun facts that make sense to say at the beginning. Oh, one is that motherfucking Angel from Buffy was supposed to be the detective in this movie. Oh, David Boreanis. Yeah. Instead, we get Detective McDreamy, which you know what? I'm not arguing about because that was also fun to write throughout my notes. <laughs> but it's hilarious. He bleeds more than anybody else in this movie and he lives. I know. 
He's the only one that bleeds pretty much. He gets his ass whooped at the end. It's, it breaks my heart. Basically, most of the fun facts about this were either the script was a piece of shit and like whatever, or this person auditioned for this movie. Another person who auditioned for this movie <laughs> and one of the only ones that I felt necessary to write down was Greg from The Room. Oh, oh I never saw The Room. You never saw The Room? I know of The Room, of course, but I've never seen The Room. Like, it's, I haven't been able to torture myself with it. Um, I'm pretty sure his character's name is Mark in it. <laughs> because I know it's not the main guy. It's like the main guy's He's friend, like the right? He's looking friend. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, so he auditioned for this movie. Surprised he didn't get it. With the people that are in here, he could have probably got it. I'm assuming he, w- he was trying to portray the actor guy. Yeah, that's my only guess who he could have gone for. Like, fake Dewey? Yeah, fake Dewey. Maybe the partner. Or maybe that security yeah. guard that's in one scene. And it says, is anybody in here? And shuts the lights off. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but okay, let's start with the opening of this film. We open on the Hollywood sign and basically we're moving over some traffic and we see that Cotton Weary is in traffic. Oh, and I love what he's wearing. White sweater, white jacket, white pants, white sneakers. Wasn't the sweater like a baby blue? It's like a very tightly fitted, knitted baby blue shirt. And he requested that he have tightly fitted clothing and that he be allowed to take off his jacket because Lev Schreiber had been working out a lot at the time and he really wanted to show off his physique. Well, did you notice the clothes he had on is the same clothes he had on when they showed the clip from the show, from his talk show? I did not. Same outfit. So he's coming back from the talk show. So like he went, he woke up that morning, put that on, worked, uh-huh. you know, no wardrobe, no nothing. Hey, I like my tight sweater. I'm wearing my tight sweater. And then just yep. under hot lights all day and then drove home. Same thing. Same outfit. Why not? He's a simple man. He is. Name's Cotton. His name is 100% Cotton. You know, it's... <laughs> oh, that should have been the name of his... <laughs> Show. It was. That's the name of the talk show. Was it? Yeah, it was 100% cotton. How did I miss that? How did I miss that? <laughs> it was talk show. Like, today. And, and it's crazy because the show is about road rage, and that's pretty much what he spends the whole movie doing is road rage. Road rage to get home. I completely missed that. that. Okay, this is making so much more sense. So, another thing, listeners, that we have not explained to you yet is that I decided instead of my usual 82 pages of notes, I would look up a script. Well, as I started the movie and was looking at the script, I was like, this is not the script for Scream 3. I don't know what I'm reading none of the dialogue matches up and I was really confused and then I continued reading and it was saying things like Sydney is working at a daycare center and I was just like I don't think I have the right script here I didn't go back and rewatch the movie afterwards uh, yes. <laughs> where the, the first little bit because I was just like whatever no one died yet this part's not important okay so Cotton's in his car he gets a phone call on his cell phone or was it a phone car it was the car uh, phone the first one the phone, 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 phone car yes yeah. the car phone yeah so he's on phone with his agent he gets a second line because apparently he has two lines on his car phone no the second um, line is his cell phone because he's talking on his car phone and then he gets a call on his cell phone <sighs> thank you for getting all these details Jeff hey Goodness no, pro- <laughs> no problem because the whole like wow car phones man he has a cell phone too he got money because it, it was like it was 2000 so like ooh or 99 or whatever like it was like wow that's but yes this woman that's now on his cell phone is just like oh like from based on him saying who's this and hello she's like I think you sound just like Cotton Weary <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's got a real sexy voice and I'm just like I'm sorry Cotton just like falls for this hook line and like, girl hangs up on his agent and he's like yeah okay so how are you doing ma'am like random stranger who's called me and then so she confirms oh my god you are Cotton aren't you I can't believe I'm talking to the real Cotton Weary like, they're just flirting back and forth and she's just like oh Cotton you're a naughty boy what would your girlfriend say and he's like what makes you think that I have a girlfriend and there's a metal click and the voice changes to Ghostface's voice and he's like I know you do I'm right outside her bathroom door like 
Oh no. That's not what Ghostface would say. He's like, cause I'm going to cut her open and watch her bleed or something. What's something like that? Seems to me more Ghostface banter in the beginning. Yeah. Like this Ghostface just doesn't get the banter really. Like there, there's one, one scene where he does an okay job of it. We'll, we'll get there. But the banter is just not great. Nah. No stewer. Uh, Mickey was decent. Okay. So the killer's telling Cotton that uh, his girlfriend's in the shower and that going in for a closer look. Apparently his new girlfriend's a step up from Maureen Prescott. I really did not like, like, I know that this happens in most of the movies, but the shaming of Maureen Prescott throughout this movie, it was just a lot. They really didn't like her in this movie. Yeah, they're just like, everything is her fault. Pretty much. Like, multiple times they make the statement and I'm just like, okay, but we learn more about her that's even like more depressing and you're just like, I feel for this woman and they're like, oh, no, further her fault. Screw the fact that she was actually a victim of what happened to her in, yeah. her, in her childhood. No, she is nope. the antagonist. She is the root cause of everybody's evil and ill will for the rest of their lives, apparently. Yep, exactly. But, oh well. Okay, mm. so Ghostface says that he's going to play a little game and see if Cotton's girlfriend lives or dies, asks where is Maureen's daughter, Sydney. Cotton's not really giving him anything. And once again, the killer asks where Sydney is, that he knows that they've got connections, and then Cotton is too busy saying that he'll kill him if he tries to kill Christine. The killer says, wrong answer, and hangs up. So Cotton's trying like a madman trying to get to his girlfriend. Yeah, no scary movies, sp- talk, no quiz, no real like game per se. He says, hey, tell me what I want to know or I'm going to kill your girlfriend, I guess. Makes even less sense when we know the backstory of the killer for this one. He's the mastermind of it all. He's the one who created this ghost face archetype, if you will. And he doesn't play by it? He doesn't play by it. And I have so many issues with the killer's motivation in this movie. He spends a whole movie. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> We're still in the first scene. Okay. He's not even, Karin's not even home yet. It's just like he's still he's on not- his way home. Okay, we cut to his girlfriend who's, you know, getting out of the shower or whatever. And the one thing that I did very much enjoy about the script that I was reading at the time was that her description was her breast gave her her career. You don't see him in the movie. Just saying. You're like, then- no. <laughs> you don't see but him. That's her description as a person is that her breast gave her her career. And I'm like, how reductive. <laughs> oh my gosh. The way that women are treated in the script. I can't. Okay. Anyways. And it's not even Jenny McCarthy because she shows up later. Jenny McCarthy's not even <laughs> in this scene. Also, I did not know that Jenny McCarthy was married to Donnie Wahlberg. She is? Yes. Detective Donnie? Detective Donnie is married to freaking... Our buddy, our pal, Detective Donnie is married. Good old Detective Donnie is married to a character in this movie. Yep. Oh my God. What the... I know. It's old friends week. Um... Yeah. Well, he hadn't, he, he hadn't been Detective Donnie yet. So, you know, we haven't, we haven't, we don't know. Yeah, he was just hanging up his... I don't know if he ever wore hair and pants and new kids on the block. That was an assumption of babies. <laughs> okay, so back to this movie. Christine, the girlfriend, is actually played by Serena Vanderwoodson's mother from Gossip Girl. That's all I noticed about her. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'm like, nothing, yes. Nothing about her breast, only the fact that I've seen her before. <laughs> the description says she doesn't know how to dry her feet. They focus on her walking on hardwood floors with wet feet like four times. <laughs> oh my gosh. It just like reminds me of my mom. She would just yell whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't wipe my feet and she would just be like, like, what's up, Doc? Walking through 
fire? What is this? Well, it's Canada. I'm sure you were traipsing in all kinds of snow and slush. It makes sense. It's true. <laughs> it <makes> um, <laughs> I, I can't deny that. <laughs> okay. So Christine hears that like someone's in the house. Uh, they turn on the ra- the radio or something like that. And then she goes and there's no one there. So she thinks that Cotton's there. And then she starts hearing him calling her from far away. And she's just like, you know, I don't like playing your stab games. And I'm just like, Cotton, what kind of games are you playing? I, I wish I had a little bit more details about these stab games. Just one or two, something. This is very troubling. If I spent a year in jail over these things, I don't know if I'd want to play a game over it. Just saying. Exactly. I spent a year in jail. I had to murder someone last year or whenever whatever it was yeah you know a couple years ago to save sydney or whatever like wasn't he on death row or something in the first one yeah like why would you play games that involve the murderer that you were accused of being someone had no idea about the scream franchise <laughs> writing this one like and it's not even like she's just like ooh, can we play your sexy stab games i i'm into that yeah. and that's why i'm with you she's like no i don't like this and you're a creep and you keep on doing this and i don't know why why do you keep on doing these scream games with me Ugh, or stab games with me? I don't like them. Stop it. So anyways, we then. Oh, that's when Ghost reveals himself. Where was he again? I think down the hall. Was it down the hall? It was just like down the hall. It just pops out in front of her and raises his knife. She slips and she falls because she didn't wipe her feet. Yeah, she didn't dry her feet right. Even though they showed me like four times. Oh, wait, this, the Creed song is on. That's what, it, that's what it was. The Creed song is on. So it got her out of the bedroom. See wet feet. Go into the living room, yeah. which I love. I love the stereo they have. It's like I had one kind of like it kind of similar to it. you know like mm-hmm. these things don't exist anymore children okay gather around watch old man jeff talk about the stereos you had to have it was like a little box <laughs> with the multi-disc changer yeah, and the multi-disc changer on top and the speakers you were like positioned strategically around mm-hmm. the room double tape deck radio cd thing it was great it's all gone now key feature of our living room back in the day then when she goes to turn it off and that's when he comes out. I yeah. So anyways, Chase ensues the usual and she ends up locking herself in a room. The killer is using this voice changer to sound like Cotton's voice talking to her still and saying like, oh, I'm just playing a game. Let me in, whatever. And then he's like, I'm talking about how much fun it's going to be to rip your insides out. Now open the fucking door. Which not for nothing. If he'd have kept up the convo, she probably would open the door. If you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I won't play these stab games anymore. Ha ha ha. You know. But this killer has no chill. <laughs> <laughs> wants to try to use a like hunting knife to stab through a wooden door. He does a pretty decent job at it. He does. I'm quite surprised that he did that well. <laughs> but anyways, Cotton makes his way home and he starts looking around, doesn't really see anyone, but then he sees stabs through the door. So he makes his way into that room with a fire poker in hand. Oh yes, he's taken off his jacket at this point to show off his wonderful physique. I'm sorry, I almost forgot that now. He was more in shape in Wolverine all those years later. Yeah, but like, you know what? Because I had read that fact I was looking for it I'm like I can see the shape of your arm good job love (laughs) (laughs) proud of you buddy yeah okay so then he gets into the room and I was gonna call her Lily because that's her name in Gossip Girl but her name's Christine in the story she's not around that much longer Lily works I don't want to throw everyone completely I'm like who the heck is Lily now so (laughs) Christine (laughs) takes a swing at him and is mad at him saying that like you playing your games and whatever and he's like I wasn't doing anything and then Ghostface is coming up behind her and he's like no and then Obviously, Christine gets killed and... Cotton got hit in the head with a golf club. He's bleeding outside of his head because Christine really knocked him out or knocked him down, I should say. He's all groggy. He's fighting with Ghostface and then he gets stabbed. And it's weird because I've been reading rumors about Scream 6 that comes out from recording in about a couple months. And one of the rumors is Cotton Weary's coming back because huh. you don't see him die in this movie. I'm like, you pretty much see him die in this movie. 
You, you see him get stabbed twice. And the cops are investigating his murder. Okay, that's true. <laughs> that, that's undeniable. <laughs> that's why they go to Gail and then they see like, oh, we're investigating. We're talking to you because Connor was murdered. Valid points, Jeff. Valid points. You know, because Stu's oh, subway stop on that map was very vaguely pixelated. We don't know. Maybe Stu's coming They think, hey, his stop is pink and not okay. white like the rest of them. And the Kirby stop is closed because she comes back. Yeah. And is in this one, so she didn't die, which I don't remember. Well, I, like I said, I saw four in the theater, but I hadn't seen it since. So she gets stabbed in the stomach. That's what happens to her. So she goes outside after she beats Ghostface game with the trivia and goes to save Rory Culkin. And then Rory Culkin's just like, you didn't like me until now, you stupid bitch kind of thing and stabs her in the stomach. Oh yeah, that's one of the things I didn't like about that because you don't think it's him for the longest. And then he does this weird heel turn in, the, in like the last minute and you're like, what? Which I guess we'll get there in a couple weeks. Back to the movie. Cotton yeah. has been stabbed. Sorry, the killer tells him that he should have just told him where Sydney was. Front time. Before we get to front time, I don't think okay. Cotton knew where Sydney was anyway. Absolutely not. They weren't friends. Like he, he pretty much held her hostage. If you do this interview, I'll save your life. If you don't, then I'll just let Aunt Jackie kill you. And that's it. Fucking Aunt Jackie. <laughs> Fucking Aunt Jackie. And we find out Gail doesn't know. I think only Dewey knows where she is. Yeah, it's literally only Dewey. And even then, it implies that he has like contact information for her. But like, I don't know if he knows exactly where she is. It makes it even make less sense because when you find out who the killer is, the killer had more access to Dewey than he does to Cotton. Yeah, there's that. And then also there's a scene with Detective McDreamy and Dewey where he's, you know, complaining that they're withholding Sid from him and blah, 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 blah. And then Dewey says something about, well, like you've already talked to Sid's father and he has just as much information. I'm like, wouldn't you be bugging the father for Sid's location? Why are you bugging Dewey? Like the father would know and he comes back in this movie. Yeah, but they'd say that the detectives had a chance to talk to him. So, uh, okay. So not only Dewey that knows where Sid is, you can ask other people. Mr. McDreamy. Okay. Yeah. Detective McDreamy. I'm sorry. That was very disrespectful of me. Okay. He's worked hard to be detective, right? <laughs> exactly. So now we cut to Gail Weathers giving a speech to oh, a no. college. It's fun time now. We, 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 gla- we glaze over fun time. We skipped over fun time. We skipped over fun time because I interrupted oh, it. It's my fault. And I also skipped over Sydney's bit. This is what happens when I don't write as detailed notes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sydney's bit is, is very like, hey, look, she's here. And that was it. Like You see her, she lives on She's in a ranch okay. in the middle of nowhere and she has a dog and she works from home. That's kind of relevant in today's society. That's like a fucking dream in 2023, man. <laughs> she has a nice big ass house because of course she does because she's loaded. See, like that's the thing. If I had been through what she had been through, I would want to live in like a very small apartment with multiple escape routes. <laughs> kind of get like, hey, I'm not going to go out and live out in a big ranch out in the middle of nowhere where no one can find. I get it. Okay, so then I would unibomber it. I'm sure she has like a panic when we camera set up. They just never showed it. Well, you know, she has her armed gate that can easily be jumped <laughs> when she goes to lock up the gate with the keypad or whatever. And like, you can see that like, okay, the full perimeter of the gate has some electric wiring on it, but the actual gate itself that opens and closes doesn't have anything on it and is shorter than the rest of the gate. So the easiest point to jump over. <laughs> what is the point of this gate? <laughs> but on the bright side, the job she has makes sense to what she has been through. Like, even though she was trying to be an actress, oh. hardcore in the last movie, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, well, that's why she finally showed up at the police precinct in Hollywood. She was just like, okay, it's time to get back to the acting career. Yeah, I'll do this. I'll do some auditions, you know, hey, whatever. And I'm going to go to the the least secure Hollywood studio ever because anybody could just show up to the set and just be there. Even when there's murders going on, people just there. Yep, it's just an open set for anyone to check out. It's on the lot and everything, but hey, just walk in. Okay, we're tying up two things. First, fun time. Love the fun. It was great. It was so amazing. Was it? It's amazingly bad, but that's why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, Jeff had to like take a screen cap and show it to me. <laughs> like he was just like, oh, check out this font. It was great. It was like it was slashing the three, and then the screen comes at you in three D. Oh, so amazing! It was very reminiscent of the early Saw films when they like first started. To- so they had used like the word art, and then like had like a very slight animation to it, and they're just like, yeah, welcome to the new millennium. The font here is vaguely three D. We learned how to use these new computer-ish things to do fonts, and look what we figured out. We learned how to animate a three. It's great. Mm-hmm. We spent all our time on it, so we're just going to scream over it, and we'll be all right. And then that's when we see Sadie locking up her gate on this ranch. She goes to join, like, she picks up her phone, and she calls into this women's crisis counseling center that she works for. She goes by the name of Laura. I don't think this is the perfect job for her, unless she has properly dealt with her own trauma, which is constantly shown throughout this film that she has not. And that, like, in fact, she is in the middle of a psychotic break. <laughs> Therefore, probably should not be counseling people. True. She's having full-on hallucinations of her mother. But the hallucinations start to, like, I guess, so the trauma triggers come back because murders are happening again. Still, the point being that, like, she has not dealt with her trauma enough that she is actively going through a psychotic episode <laughs> and, like, unhinged because she's seeing ghosts of her mother and hearing her talk to her and whatever. Like, listen to me, Sydney. This is mother talking. I'm like, all right, Mrs. Bates. I had no idea. Yeah, it was just like, let's combine Mrs. Bates and then Nightmare from Elm Street 1. What's her name? The first girl that gets killed and then like, is, is it Cindy? It's like something like that. Oh, it is like Cindy or like, it's with a C. Yeah, anyways, remember she's in like the plastic body bag and she's like, go down to the basement. Like, it was just so that <laughs> whenever they showed its mom in the crime scene bag. So Nightmare on Elm Street. I know it's Wes Craven as well, but like, this is not the right film. You can see the Wes Craven things in this movie. Which is great. Tina was her name. Boy, were we off. Tina. <laughs> Way off. Cindy. Cindy. We're like, and I'm like, yes, yeah, like with a C, I think. I'm like, in my head, I was like, Carol? No. Tina. Yes. <laughs> like, it was a basic white girl's name. Okay, Tina. Sure. Yeah, sure. Tina works. So anyways, keeping on track. Next scene is that we cut to Gail giving the speech at a college journalism class. And she's talking about how, like, you got to risk it all for the biscuit. And basically, some student calls her out saying that, like, oh, we should be ready to go out there and cut each other's throats because that's what you did. She's like, metaphorically, yes. Have you learned nothing from the last one? And the student's just like, was it worth it? And the moderator's like, okay, we're out of time. Bye. All right, it's over. Everybody leave. All right, gotta go. Yeah. The Warrens have this room next. And so they have to <laughs> put these people in. They gotta talk about Amityville or something. So we have... No, 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 no. They have a whole thing set up about Annabelle and demonic possession. It's gonna be a good time. Yeah, exactly. A whole lot of possession stuff to talk about. So, hey, we have to turn the room. Come on, everybody just leave. <laughs> okay. The moderator tells Gail that the police are there to see her. So she goes to the hallway and meets up with Detective McDreamy, a.k.a. Patrick Dunsey, a.k.a. I believe his name's Mark in this film, but who cares? <laughs> yeah, it is Mark, yeah. And not for nothing, it was a big deal at the time because he hadn't been anything for a minute. Like, he was a big 80s guy, and then like he vanished yeah. for a couple years, and then they, oh, we got Patrick Dempsey for this, and then a couple years after this is when Grey's Anatomy started. There, I felt like he did some TV thing. I remember it being a big deal that Patrick Dempsey was a- I don't know. You would remember more than me. I was but a mere child. Um, 
so was I, a mere child of 20, but still. <laughs> but okay, so Gail meets with Detective McDreamy and they talk about her impressive resume and how she's the authority on the Woodsboro murders. And then, as Jeff says right here, McDreamy goes, I'm here because Cotton Weary's been murdered. Okay, so um, any rumors about Cotton coming back? Question, question, question mark. Will we also be seeing Detective McDreamy explaining that he had lied to everyone about this murder? I would hope so, because they reference him by name in Scream 6. I think when they, Wait, when they talk detective to Detective or Cotton Weary? Detective. Oh, really? I think they name check him when they talk to Sydney about why didn't so-and-so come or something. Oh, he's with the kids or something. I think that's what they were. I thought that was her husband. Yeah, I think it's his guy, isn't it? It's not. She married this guy? That's what I'm thinking. What? I need to know more. I could be wrong. We'll find out, I guess, in a couple weeks when we do Scream 6. Excuse me. Well, I like very quickly Google Sydney. <laughs> Mary. Detective Kincaid. Oh my gosh, that's like a number one thing that's been Googled. And yes, she did. Boom! Yes. I think they just name check him. Yeah, this is a real quick scene. Like, oh, why didn't so-and-so come down. Okay, that makes so much more sense why he's at her house at the end of this movie. I'm just like, what the heck is he doing there? Not for nothing. They pour over the creepy stalker vibes on him with like a 15-gallon drum. It's just like, listen, he is the killer. Here's your stalker, man. And he has the file that Dewey removed from the police station and then ransacked it like to make it look like he's the one that did it. And we're never going to speak about this ever again after Sydney sees it. But like at the same time, was that the police file? Because oh, like... Oh, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it looked like a stalker's freaking scrapbook. It didn't look like a police file. And early in the movie, when she first shows up, his partner's like, oh, so I know what you're doing. You're going to go get her, get her roses, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is a quick line. Oh my gosh, what if in Scream 6 we find out that it's been Mark all along? Oh my god! <laughs> he played the ultimate long game. That's why yeah. Sydney's not in this movie. And the killer's one of her kids or something. Yeah, I was going to say that he raises up the kids to be murdered. Who do we call? With- I don't know. We need our ideas. Listen, I got to take this out of the podcast. We can't have our <laughs> idea go public. Don't worry. I already have the first five pages written. We got this. <laughs> We're good to go. We can do this. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Back to the meeting of Gail and uh, the potential real ghost face. From Scream 6. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So he tells her that a picture had been left with Cotton Weary's body and he asks her if she can identify the woman in the picture. She can. It is a picture of Maureen Prescott, Sydney Prescott's mother. I'm guessing such a high profile case. Her picture might have been seen on Dateline once or twice. Yes, but these are earlier pictures of her that have been unseen because these were taken of her when she was in her 20s and ran away to Hollywood to be in films under the name Rena Reynolds. They're in LA. Like nobody on the police station would have been like, she kind of looks like the girl that Conway was Maybe? sent to jail for killing. Maybe. Maybe that's what Detective McDreamy was on to, but he didn't want to lead the witness and thus he was like, hmm, somebody from Woodsboro would know whether this is Marine or not. I will ask Gail. Yeah, he just seems like he's a terrible cop. But he's a really good scrapbooker. He is an amazing scrapbooker. Kind of creepy, but I think that's the vibe he was going for. Okay, so we then cut to the studios. That's what happens. We cut mm-hmm. to the studios and the cops are there checking things out based on the murders and the executives are all meeting and talking on set about what's to come of the movie. Uh, and we meet our director, Roman, for the first time and he's basically just in a small argument with the executives talking about what a big deal this is and if they have to kill the movie because he wants to do his his art film his his love story but he has to finish this this movie 
movie first. Which apparently was what happened to Wes Craven. He was told he had to do Scream 3 before he was allowed to do, I can't remember what. It was something with Meryl Streep that was a love story. Something in the heart. So- Song of the Heart, Sing of the Heart, something like that. Something like that. Supposedly that movie's really good. I think it wants like something. I'd never heard of it until I saw it in the fun facts. But anyways, Milton claims that he's been making horror movies for 30 years and never, never had a psycho problem, except that he's a motherfucking psycho. So I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> right, I'm going to get my Milton thing out of the way now because mm. it really doesn't matter. They named the character John Milton, right? Mm-hmm. You know the John, you know the reference, right? I couldn't like, I'm like, I know this name, but I couldn't pull out where the reference was. Uh, he wrote Paradise Lost Thing About Devil. The reason yes. the devil's named John Milton and Devil's Advocate is yes, over that. Okay. Same name, yeah. same thing. And he is the analog for Harvey Weinstein in this movie. I know, I know, I know. And they basically name him the devil <laughs> in 2000 oh. in this movie. That's the thing. Like this movie is low key. Like, hi, this is what's happening in Hollywood for real. <laughs> like, me too. Like when I heard, I was like, they naming John Milton? Really? You're naming this character the devil? And at the time, like as I'm watching yesterday, I'm like, oh, this is, I know this is the analog for Harvey Weinstein. And we all know what he's done and how horrible that is. So I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. 23 years ago when this movie came out, they already named the analog for that person in this movie, the devil. Yep. Had to get that out the way right now. Yeah, I didn't catch that, but that totally makes sense because it felt very apparent who they were calling out throughout this movie. And I don't know how like the Weinstein brothers were like, yeah, 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 that's a great plot. Like, But then again, there's such fucking narcissists. They were like, we'll never be caught. I'm sure he never even saw it. Never even thought of it. Never even, never even crossed <laughs> his mind. The arrogance was just like oozing yeah. out of his pores. Yeah. So Milton's yelling at the detectives and he's like, detectives, there's no reason to presume that Cotton's death had anything to do with the movie, is there? And Wallace, the other detective who, in my notes, I wrote, not Ben Stiller? <laughs> Question mark? Because he vaguely looks like Ben Stiller. He kind of say Ben Stiller looks now, 20 years ago. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, I'm like, not Ben Stiller. But anyway, so not Ben Stiller detective. It's just like, he was making a movie named Stab and he was stabbed. Clearly there's a connection. Yeah, because they don't know about the ghost face stuff yet. Uh, now, so I guess. Peak detective work. Yes. It's- <laughs> he was on a movie called Stabbed and he was stabbed. So, there. of course, this is why. Wrap it up, boys. We got this. We're going to say, that's it. Shut it down. I'm so good at following clues. <laughs> yeah. um, so proud of myself. We then, <laughs> we then cut to the main cast of Stab 3. And if you pay attention and actually listen for their names, you'll find that they're an amalg- amalgamation. Is that yep. the right word? Yep. Of amalg- like, uh, yep. Thank you. Of various Hollywood stars. So we have names such as Tyson Fox, a.k.a. Tyson Beckford and Jamie Foxx. Tom Prince, a.k.a. Tom Cruise and Freddie Prince Jr. Angelina Tyler, a.k.a. Angelina Jolie and Liv Tyler. And Sarah Darling. I'm not sure who Sarah Darling is. Oh, that's, that's Jenny McCarthy. Well, no, 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 no. But like, I mean, who's Sarah Darling? Oh. What is that name supposed to be? I don't know a darling. I don't know a famous Sarah off the top of my head. Maybe Sarah Michelle Geller. I don't know. Anyway, but a lot of the names you'll find are like that. Just who I call fake Gail in all of my notes because I wrote first my notes were Jenny for Jenny McCarthy's character. And then that character, the fake Gail, her name is Jennifer. And then I was like, this is getting too confusing in my notes. She's just fake Gail. <laughs> She's great in everything she does, though. I love her. Whenever I see her, I'm like, yes, you're great. She is great. So fake Gail, her name is Jennifer Jolie. So it's supposed to be a combination of Jennifer Aniston and uh, Angelina Jolie. That's why they make the comment about Brad Pitt leaving her. And so it's not the, An- the Jennifer Aniston hairdo she had at the time? <laughs> No, I think they were trying to mock the Courtney Cox hairdo from season one, uh, season one, Scream One. Scream One, all right, because she looked like, like she has a Jennifer Aniston hair, kind of, and then the Brad Pitt joke. I'm like, are you trying to do some kind of thing here? <laughs> yes, they were. 
All right. <laughs> Anyways, the cast of Stab is discussing, you know, what has happened. Tyson's suggesting that maybe it was some psycho fan that was pissed they killed off Randy and Stab too. I could totally see that. I'm fucking pissed off they killed off Randy. And it's literally so, the best part of this movie, but whatever. Yeah, literally Randy's bit is the best part of the entire movie. I was laughing so hard. Anyways, they tell Tyson that he's clearly just supposed to be a Randy substitute, so he'll probably get killed. And then throughout their conversations, we find out that Angelina is now starring as Sydney Prescott because Tori Spelling and David Schwimmer would not come back. Another scream thing, all right? Yeah, <laughs> another friends thing. David. Oh, Schwimmer. friends. That's what I mean. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, Tori, it was Luke Wilson though. Well, I guess he was Billy, so he would have died. So I don't know who David Schwimmer was supposed to be. I guess Dewey. And that could see him being a goofy Dewey. Yeah, I guess it worked. Probably better than the guy that ends up being Dewey in this, this version. But oh well. So then Candy, aka Jenny McCartney's character, I wrote in my notes. Melissa McCartney's less talented cousin is playing a character named Candy. And she's saying that we're not in any danger. And then Tyson quotes her from the script being like, Candy says page 15. <laughs> then we cut to Gail. She's entering the studio. Fake Gail spots her and is just like, oh my god, it's you! And Gail's just like, oh fuck. So fake Gail's going on waxing poetic about, oh, I know we've never met, never returned my calls, but I like absolutely love you and I feel like I'm inside of your mind. And Gail's like, that would explain the headache. I like this is like a callback to part two, kind of. First it was, and Jackie is like, I love you because of the reporter, blah, 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 blah. And now it's like, I love you or not love you. I like, I feel like I am you because I am you for the last couple of years. Yeah, it is definitely a callback to that. And then you learn some exhibition that she had moved out here to be part of 60 Minutes 2, but instead is uh, a correspondent for Total Entertainment, which I'm assuming is supposed to be Entertainment Tonight. That's, what, that's my guess, yeah. Yeah. So then through this, uh, then we find out that she is the correspondent or whatever. We'll see that like several actors throughout are mad at her for the things that she's reported on them, which is quite humorous. But right now, Gail, she turns around and she sees Dewey. Woo! And we find out that Dewey is pretty much working for Jennifer now. Working, staying with. It made some, made like they were kind of together, but not really. They kept that part very vague. I would assume they are not together because he's living on her land. Because when he chooses Gail over her, she's like yelling at him of, who pays you? Whose land do you live on? Not like, who do you truly love? Like so. You know, I think that's what she meant because like when they're talking together and alone is like, you know, why is she so terrible? No, she's trying to get into the head of Gail. She's trying to find out more about Gail. <laughs> that's what I assumed it was. Maybe she wants to be with Gail. We need to reevaluate this whole thing. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and think about this. It's all new and different now. Too bad that she died. Otherwise, you know, maybe in, in Scream 6. So yes, Gail's not impressed that Dewey works there. Um, But then who is she talking? Oh, this is when she gets into a thing with Tom, quote unquote, who is fake Dewey. And my note, Big Dewey is upset because she reported on him drinking and doing drugs. But it wasn't true. His tire blew out and she wrote that it was a, D- a DUI or something. Yeah. So from there. That's when uh, Melting comes on and kicks her off set. No reporters. Get off. Get off my movie. And she's trying to say that she's working with Detective McDreamy, but they're just like, nope, rules are rules. Get the fuck off. So then we cut to outside of the state door where there's a tour going on and uh, Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> See okay. Gail, and they think that she's Ch- Connie Chum, which is horrible. Oh no. But I do like they ask how Maury's doing, so that's great. <laughs> 
Oh boy. But yeah. One thing that we have not discussed yet is the horrific thing that is sitting on top of Courtney Cox's head in this movie. AKA her hair, which is the only reason why I could assume they were calling her Connie Chung because of the terrible haircut. I can see that. But doesn't it change later? Like, cause I, remember I thought it and then like later I saw it different. I'm like, did it get a new hairstyle like halfway through this movie? Nope. She has the same terrible bangs throughout the movie. They throw like a millimeter more so that they look slightly normal in some scenes. Later on, I'm like, wait, you look different to me somehow. I don't know. No, they're really fucking bad bangs. And it's all David Arquette's fault. He told Courtney Cox to go for a Betty Page thing. It did not work. Yeah, because they were married at the time, right? Yes. As Courtney Cox likes to say, on the first film, they were dating. On the second film, they were sleeping together. And on the third film, they were married. <laughs> and they're divorced by the fourth film. Yep, pretty much. I think that, no, they had just been separated by then. The divorce hadn't gone through but by the fifth. Well, close enough. Well, they're really divorced <laughs> by the sixth film. <laughs> they're definitely divorced by now. Um, and also, spoiler alert. <laughs> Do we deserve to have died in every movie? Because I forgot how much he gets his ass whipped in this movie, too. Seriously, and how many times that man has been stabbed? <laughs> he's lucky he made it to that movie. And his limp comes back halfway through the movie because he's not limping until later. I know. He always remembers, like, as the shit gets crazy, that's when he remembers the limp. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Nerve damage. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so then we cut from Jane Bo- Silent Bob over to Sydney's house where she's hanging out with her dad. And she says, a lovely quote that we once used for a social media post. <laughs> Which we might use again. We don't know. Maybe. But basically, her dad's trying to convince her that, you know, Cotton had a lot of enemies. So, like, maybe it's not related to you at all. And Sydney asks him if he ever thinks about her mom. And then she goes on to be like, none of this would have ever happened if she hadn't. If she hadn't. Why'd she have so many secrets, Dad? And I'm like, you're pretty much trying to blame. Like, how many people's deaths on your mother having an affair? That's clearly not the actual reason that these things happen. These things happen because psychotic people decided to murder people to pay for consequences in their own mind. That was not your mom's doing. (laughs) Not for nothing. Hot take. It is kind of messed up she had an affair with like her daughter's boyfriend's dad. Yes. Like the kind of weird thing or fine, whatever. You know, hey, the husband wasn't doing it first. She would stepped up like, man, you could have found somebody else besides your daughter's boyfriend's dad, I think. This is true. But then at the same time, like I think about it. Yeah, but that's what made Billy lose his mind and kill her, you know, or like be able enough to be motivated to be push to kill her specifically because then his mama mm-hmm. left and then he got out then and jackie left left his dad right moved moved yeah. to illinois to, to with her sister roseanne and then became a reporter <laughs> and um killed people you know because they're yes, yes. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I understand that billy decided to take his mother leaving as a trigger for murder but that was billy's choice that was not maureen's choice and the fact that people are still blaming maureen who has been dead for however many years at this point for the reason why they are killing just random ass people that have no connection to Maureen at this point. Like, for example, the other Maureen from Scream 2, who, like, never even knew who Sydney was, aka Jada Pinkett-Smith. Why was she murdered? She has nothing to do with Maureen Prescott. Mickey was just stab-happy. That's that's what that was. Yeah, but you can't blame Maureen Prescott for all of these things. And then, like, we find out more about her backstory in this that explains why she was so hypersexual and probably felt that her only worth was her sex. And thus why she courted so many extramarital relationship. She was going through a lot of trauma herself and once again, like, didn't handle it in the best way, but what she was doing was not murder. And then made the villain over it, kind of, in this movie from Beyond the Grave. And, like, I understand Roman being horrified and upset that she, that, like, she wanted nothing to do with him and that, you know, Rena Randall dead, but if he's a child of rape, I understand why she feels that way, and he decided to blindside her and show up on her doorstep instead of, you know, sending a 
letter calling like something like a little more subtle to be like hi do you want to meet me and built is his dad right they don't say it outright but that's what I, that's the they don't by say God. it outright so I didn't know because it was like gang rape right so I don't know because it's like oh I'm going to your birthday don't cut the cake without me all this kind of stuff and it's like is it like mm, I don't know maybe he thinks he's a dad. I don't know like I don't think it was so much as a gang thing if he just said that and make it look worse on her and I think it was he just did it to keep the Harvey Weinstein analog going maybe I don't know he said it was a party and that that's the type of parties that he throws and that so if she showed up to that party she knew what was going to happen you know yeah so anyways point being throughout this movie we constantly try to blame Maureen for murder and she never did that no she never tried to cause that that's not on Maureen Maureen that would be like saying that Sydney tried to cause these murders by existing like it's just no it's not her fault okay but moving back into Sydney's conversation with her dad he's worried about her he thinks that maybe it's time that she comes and moves back in with him and she's just like you know what like it's fine I, I'm taking care of myself and he's like you don't even exist like you're using a fake name and like you never see anyone whatever well psychos can't kill what they can't find oh, so whatever and then we cut to Sydney sleeping on a couch why does she always sleep on couches in these movies? like how often do you sleep on your couch I'm sure it's happened but I can't remember the last time it has happened usually like I'll just lay down watching a movie or something and may, might fall asleep but not like purposefully lay down on my couch mm-hmm. to take a nap because that's what she's done in these movies so like it's always like she goes over to her couch to go and take a nap <laughs> I'm like I have never done this in my life unless like I make my little sick bed there like when I'm really sick <laughs> and like turn on the TV and have it in the background maybe then but like just a regular old nap on the couch that sounds very uncomfortable and like I'm gonna have a lot of neck pain even though my friend's wife does come here and she loves to sleep on my couch so I don't know <laughs> We're going to have to interview her for this episode, okay? Because I, I, I need answers. I don't understand. Jesus, this couch is so comfortable. I love sleeping on this couch. I'm like, okay. I don't understand. Actually, I did have a friend who refused to sleep in her bedroom as a child and would sleep either just on the hard floor of the landing above on the second floor oh my God. or on a couch. Well, if you refuse to sleep in the bedroom, I guess the couch is a better option than the hard, cold floor. No, she would just lie on the floor. It was like a carpeted floor at least, but like still, but still like just yeah. right above the stairs, just like sleeping. <laughs> like any particular reason like she's just like hey there were the boogeyman's coming like something no i think that's where she had her like computer so she would just like fall asleep while on her computer anyways it was weird maybe we'll have to get her and your friend's wife and like, like interview them both and be like why do you sleep in these odd places i think she only like sleeping on my couch okay i don't know if that makes it any better <laughs> maybe sydney like specifically when she goes to purchase couches she like lies down gets all cuddled up and she's like can i sleep on this couch yes or no yes or no yeah but if i can't sleep on this couch it's not worth it because you know then I will not be in an open, exposed place to be attacked while sleeping. Yeah, because people like to murder me, you know, every couple of years. So I need to be able mm-hmm. to put myself out of this place. Yeah, I just like to be in a very, very incredibly vulnerable situation while I sleep. Yeah, where the ghosts would come see me in this movie, I guess. Yeah, because that's what's happening now. So basically, the camera focuses on a picture of Sydney's mom. And then we see a woman walking through Sydney's yard. And like, do you, you remember in Donnie Darko, like Grandma Death? No, I saw a movie once and didn't like it so I remember very little of this movie of the of okay. Grandma Death is this like old senile woman and basically like she lives on this little old road like in the middle of nowhere and she just goes back and forth to check her mail like 85 times a day just crosses the road back and forth to her mailbox and then like people constantly almost hit her with their car because she's just out in the middle of the road and like kind of delusional and then like senile and just like wandering that's what Maureen Prescott <laughs> looked like to me as she's wandering the yard and I'm like 
like, Grandma Death, what are you doing here? I can see it. So anyway, she wanders Sydney's yard and she's like calling to her and you like, Sid, come here. Your mother needs to talk to you. And then she's like, everything you touch dies. You're poison. You're just like me. I guess I kind of see because, you know, they're trying to kill her and other people just get killed along the way, which, all right. Yeah. It would make me feel guilty. Okay, I'm sorry. But it's not always that they're trying to kill her and other people get killed along the way. No, they purposely kill other people to traumatize her. True. It's not their fault. It's the, once again, the killer's fault for being so sadistic and psychotic. He could just kill Sydney, But no, it, like in the second movie, okay, let's find people with the same names as the victims so far that have nothing to do with the case. That was overly <laughs> like, complicated. And I would have loved it if they couldn't find anybody with the names matched up well enough. I'm like, damn, what are we going to do? I had such a great idea. But there's nobody in this college that has a name I need. So anyways, point being, it's always the killer's fault. It is never anyone else's fault. Stop blaming everyone else. <laughs> Take some responsibility for once, as Sydney says. She does say it. That's her getting over her yeah. trauma. You know, it's not my fault. Yeah, But anyway, so Sydney is, you know, stirred from her nap, apparently, and she just sees through the window her mother clawing at the window and slamming her bloody hands against it as she, like, slowly falls to the floor and Sydney approaches the window and then Ghostface pops up and then it turns out that Sydney was still asleep. No one saw that one coming. No, and that's what motivated her to go back to... Because you don't see her again until she goes back to... Until she... Not to go back to Boysboro, goes back to... Yeah. Uh, to go to LA. This is, like, the fourth scene in the movie, but we, we won't see her for, you know, another 30 or some odd minutes. Yeah, easy. Basically, she decided to walk back to Woodsboro <laughs> from wherever she was. She wanted to give the dog a nice long walk, so she decided to go all the way back to LA with, her, with Cherokee, her dog. Cherokee, I might die, so let's go for one last walk, boy. <laughs> exactly. It's gonna be a long one. It's gonna be a long one, yeah. We have to, we have to go all the way out to LA, you know, just where they have form-fitting bulletproof vests, which we'll get to that part. Oh, yeah. Really form-fitting. Like, if you want a snatched waist, you don't want to get a bullet through it this is where you gotta go yep lapd even though that was a man's bulletproof vest for him and yeah. probably standard sizes or whatever not tailored to me and my body but still that's another thing there and i'm wearing a tight top on top of everything else that doesn't look bulky at all nope really like form fitting bulletproof vest it's hot couture okay <laughs> it's, it's um. great it's just the way it works <laughs> okay so we cut back to sunrise studios and jenny mccartney as my note says the less talented cousin of melissa mccarthy shows up and she's supposed to be having a meeting with Roman. Tyson jumps out and he has scissors through his head and she's like, oh yeah, but it was just a makeup test and he's laughing at her. And she's like, fuck you, go to hell and goes off to try to find Roman. Goes into his office. She ends up breaking his video award, breaking the head off of the trophy. Or wannabe VMA, the scream equivalent of the VMA. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, oh crap. So then the phone starts ringing. Sarah answers it. It's Roman on the phone. He's running late, stuck on the highway. So he's like, why don't we just start this over the phone? Oh, apparently it was a music video. Oh, yeah, that's what the VMA is. Yeah. Okay. It was in a moon man. It was a uh, uh, something else. I don't know what I don't know what they would be just You were saying VMA and I was thinking in my head people choice words. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, the VMA. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, no, it was a video musical. <laughs> yeah, that's what you were saying. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, did I like smoke some crack before this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where my brain is today. But anyway. Okay. 
back to this. She's looking at his awards. They're talking on the phone. Uh, she wants to talk about the character. She hates Candy because she gets killed in the second scene. She's the second person to die in both movies, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and she's not happy. She's a 35-year-old woman playing a 21-year-old. Uh, she has to die naked, and she's too stupid to have a gun in the house, even though her boyfriend has been cut to fish sticks, quote-unquote. And Roman's like, yeah, okay, great. Let's run the lines. And she's like, fuck you. You asked me about my character, and then you don't even pay attention. Great. And Roman is the killer. So what's this all about? What is this all about? No, 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 Roman's the killer, right? right? Does he yeah. have to really have to go through this role play with her when he's like down the hall in like the, the broom closet or whatever? Yeah, I don't quite get it other than like... Like, this is for us. This is only happening so we can see this happen. The only thing I can say is that it sets up that she was on the phone at the time of the murder so that maybe if Roman has some way to say that he was somewhere else entirely, that helps his alibi. I don't know. No, all this did was point the cops to question him after she died. Go, oh, she know, told everybody's going to talk to you and it pointed attention to himself, the actual killer. Yeah, honestly, what I think it was was they hadn't decided. Oh, no, I'm positive. Was. They just like, they're like, we're just doing things. We don't know who the killer is. For all we know, it's going to be Dewey and this is going to be what it's going to be. And we'll get to like when you know that they don't know who the killer is later. But anyways, okay. So they start reading their lines and, you know, it's the typical ghost face on the phone with someone. She's saying that she... <laughs> so she's like, hello, who's this? This is Candy. Hang on. Let me get some clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie. This is kind of, this was funny. The send-up of it was, was funny. I love that that's... <laughs> That's her first. And let me get some clothes. That's always what I say when I answer the phone and it's a stranger. Yeah, exactly. When somebody, I have no idea who it is. I'm, you make sure to let them know you're totally naked and you think I need yeah. to get some clothes. Like, oh, by the way. Oh my God. But anyways, so Jenny McCarthy is mad. She's like, I don't know why she has to start the scene in the shower. It's done the whole vertigo thing. Hello. And I'm like, oh no. Even though this movie started with a girl in the shower. Just saying. Yes, I know. But she's tried to say that it's been done before. Vertigo naming a Hitchcock film, but naming the wrong Hitchcock film. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, oh boy, candy, 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 even though you're, that's not your name, but it suits you better, Jenny McCarthy. Anyway, so then Roman continues with the script and, you know, the usual, I think you got the wrong number, blah, 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 I'm going to hang up. And then Roman says that his favorite name is Sarah and Sarah, the actress, aka Jenny McCarthy, is like, that's not the line. And Roman's like, it is in my script. And she's like, was there another goddamn rewrite? How the fuck are we supposed to learn our lines when there's a new script every 15 minutes and that line was written because that's how all the actors felt on this film so it wasn't like an ad lib she didn't just say that and like she thought it was like it was an actual rewrite or something just like went off no, no like it was written into the script for her but it was written in because that's how literally what people were saying on the set so, and then Roman says it's not a new script it's just a new movie and Sarah's like what what movie and then he's like in the metallic like of the killer's voice and it's called Sarah gets cured like a fucking pig which the only thing I want them to bring back from this movie is that little voice changer thing which he somehow programmed with everybody in the world's voice. Yeah, I would really like to know how he got that technology so seamless back in 99. Because yeah, he even had Sydney's voice and nobody knew where she was. And then in theory, he had Maureen's voice and she's dead. How did you recreate a dead person's voice? <laughs> I'm not sure. Everybody's like Dewey, Cotton. Like I'm assuming he's not using it this time because it's actually him. It didn't even need to click over to the, to the ghost face voice. I mean, maybe he needed it just for the ghost face voice. So he was just turning it on for the first time is what 
you're hearing. And I'm wondering, <laughs> in this world, when they sell like voice changers, is like Ghostface one of the settings? I mean, it must be because that's what happens for Because <laughs> like, every movie, different killers, different voice changers, and it's always the same voice. So I'm guessing like that's just setting four is just Ghostface. It's just like, that's what it is. Yeah, but it's actually called generic serial killer voice. <laughs> exactly. Because oh. Ghostface probably copywritten exactly. in this world. So, you know, or like a <laughs> head <laughs> Spooky spirit voice. Phantom. Phantom Phantom face. Phantom face. Phantom face voice. Oh, God. Okay. So, yeah. Then Sarah hangs up the phone. She starts running down the hall. Shadow at the end. Goes to hide in the wardrobe department, I believe it is. And she's in racks and racks of ghost face costumes. But only one of them is sparkly. And that's the one he's in. Yes. Because as Jeff said uh, before we're recording, in this movie, you know, Ghostface has to make his uh, sparkly Hollywood debut. Exactly. He has to shine bright like a diamond in this movie. It's just like, he is just there. He's a Lamborghini. He's a Hollywood star. <laughs> yes. He's even if I want to hide in the dark, I can't because you'll see me sparkle. That's why he never hides from anybody. Really, he's just behind locked doors all the time. He's like, I'm too shiny. God damn it. I sparkle all the time. <laughs> like no matter what. Oh, so anyways, yes. One of the ghost face costumes that comes to life and it grabs Dara. She falls to the ground. She runs around the prop table. She grabs a knife only to find that it's made of rubber, which is a call to scary movie one, which I love. <laughs> she then grabs a, a metal pipe. Ghost face pushes her over she swings the pipe at Ghost Face and it bends when she hits him because she's literally in a prop trailer trying to find weapon. Oh boy. She smashes through the glass on the top half of the door. She's impaled by the shard and Ghost Face stabs her in the back and twists the neck. She falls over the door. The blood is running down her face and she is the end. We then cut to Dewey and Gail. They are at a cafe and they're discussing their failed relationship. Again, in part three. Yeah, as they usually do. I don't remember if they do that in part four. They talk about how their relationship is struggling. Of course, because they can't just be happy in one of these movies. No, like, literally, even Dewey's proposal is like, I know that it won't work, and I know that you know that it won't work, but why don't we give it a try on the off chance that it does? I know we're going to get divorced, and you know we're going to get divorced, and we shouldn't be together, but we should get married. So, calling back to City of Angels, uh, I don't know if you remember the proposal from that movie, but it involves the line, we are the same species? Which they aren't, right? Because he's an angel. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. Nick Cage doesn't propose it's her boyfriend oh who's the, the boyfriend does okay alright and he's that's his reasoning we are the same species so he was he had the ring and he was going to propose to the first person he saw and she just happened to walk in the room right that's what it was apparently he chose her because she was the only one of his species that he could find but I don't know listen I'm a doctor I know these things I've been I, you know I cut people low but I see what's inside we're the same me and you so which my friend Addie was just like what the that is the worst proposal I have ever heard like how and I'm just like do you not remember the proposal from riding in cars with boys and she's just like what no I'm like that's the worst proposal ever it goes like this right. marry me Bev cause I'm shit without ya and then Drew Barrymore goes how romantic a marriage proposal that contains the word shit I think that's better than we're the same species cause at least he's saying that he ain't nothing without her like I need you cause I'm, without you I ain't nothing so I get it they're also 16 years old and she's knocked up and he's drunk well it makes sense why he said it that way but still those, <laughs> those words still sound better than we're the same species that's fair okay so yeah bad proposals aside 
is Julie and Gail are talking about their failed relationship. And, you know, why would the police even want Gail to be there? And she's like, oh, I wrote the definitive book on the Woodsboro murders. And then Dewey's like, I'm sure you can't wait to write another one. I don't remember because it's been a year. Didn't she say she was done writing these books after part two because of she got shot? Or was that she was going to use that for the book? She was going to use that for the book. She's still writing books in the fourth one. Okay. Oh, boy. But like, this is a weird argument to me. Dewey should understand kind of who he was marrying or with at the time. Absolutely. She's been a career climber from the first. The only reason she ever talked to him was to try to climb in her career. And she said, listen, I stayed with you. I took care of you. waiting for you to get better. And that didn't do anything until you were better. I'm like, wow, that's that's a lot of growth for Gail Weathers. Not for nothing. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, you know, once you were better, that's when I left. And you didn't want to come. Yeah, because as she says, Woodsboro years are like dog years. You stay there for one and it's like seven everywhere else. And Dewey's like, so you went off to Paris for a week, New York for a month, LA forever. And it's like, Dewey, you know, you could have talked to her, <laughs> maybe been like, hey, can I come? Can I do things? It's not that she was breaking up with you. Like, I'm sure they had to tell her, all right, it's time for me to get back on my career thing. I'm, I'm assuming. And then the 60 Minutes 2, even though it failed, I guess I get it. Like, that's the opportunity she took. Like, you know, like, I don't know. And he's standing in LA now, even though the reason why he's exactly. in LA is because of something because of the Sydney thing, so, which I think is this scene where he brings it up. Because she says, like, but hey, you left Woodsboro, Mr. Small Town Man. Why are you here? Yeah, basically, she's just, okay, so like, please tell me that you're not dating the second rate version of me kind of thing. And he's like, yeah, actually, this is not all about you, Gail. He dodges the question. Yeah. So he's like, off the record, two months ago, the Woodsboro police got a call from a woman who said she was with Stab 3. She wanted to see the file on Sid for research. The boy said no. She wouldn't give her name. A month later, the station gets broken into. The file room is ransacked. And Gail's like, someone stole Sid's file? No, I already removed it. I think someone on the film was trying to find Sid. And so then they're just like, ooh, his beeper goes off. He says it's Jennifer and that she needs him. And Gail's just like, Jennifer, aka fake Gail. I think they were dating or at least messed around. I don't know that they're dating. I think that she uses him as like an additional security guard kind of thing. But anyway, so yeah, his beeper goes off. He goes off like I'm on duty, whatever. Cut to Jennifer's house and Dewey and Gail pull up in separate calls. Dewey's mad at her for following. And she's like, I'm working for the police. God damn it. Even though they're never here with me, but I'm working for the police. I am a police officer. Let me take this evidence. I don't know why McDreamy's in this movie as the detective because he vanishes also for a good 20, 30 minutes. And it's Gail investigating. Back to the fun facts. They actually forgot he was part of the movie and they remembered. And that's why he gets thrown in at the end. That's great. And they were like, oh, right, we should probably do something with him. Even though they were using the bucket of a reasonable doubt on him. He's the killer, maybe. But anyways, basically, we find out from Jennifer that, you know, Sarah Darling, aka Jenny McCartney, has been killed. They think that perhaps everyone's getting killed in the order that they are killed in the script. And that would make Gail. Not maybe. Which is a plot point they never come back to. Like, oh no, it's going to be Gail next. Oh wait, there's like five versions of the script. They could be anybody else. And then like, all right, let's drop this. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much where that ends. So we find out that Dewey lives on Jennifer's property in like this trailer. And I was just like, wait, is this the same trailer from Scream 2022? Is he still secretly living on her land? But anyways, so he lives on her property and she has a security guard who is wrong from Vampire's New Groove, aka the current Bachelor his uncle. Oh, what? Like The Bachelor now? His uncle is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Warburton? He appeared on The Bachelorette last season wow. <laughs> because his nephew is the new Bachelor. I was laughing so hard. I'm like, why is Kronk on The Fucking Bachelor? <laughs> What's happening? What's going on? Oh, it'd have been great if he was The Bachelor. That'd have been wonderful. <laughs> 
I think he's married, happily married, but I don't he probably know. Probably is, but it'd still be hilarious. Like, I just want to bounce and be like, Krong, like, hey, Krong, this is the bachelor. Okay. We cut to the sunrise offices, and Detective Non Ben Stiller is holding up a new picture that was left with Sarah's body. Once again, it's a picture of Maureen Prescott, and Detective McDreamy mentions that, you know, this whole like leaving pictures with the bodies, whatever, is very Hannibal Lecter. It's clearly like someone that's into the old killer playing with cops routine. Just to come back. Hannibal Lecter doesn't do that in any of the movies that had been out by this time. Because I don't think Hannibal had been out. Silence of the Lambs had been out because yeah. that was 91. Yeah, I think, I think Hannibal hadn't been out yet because that's the only one where he's free because he's locked up in Silence of the Lambs and only one other, the only other movie that had come out by then probably was Manhunter, which is also Silence of the Lambs and he was locked up in that one too. Yes, but we heard about his previous crimes and then there's also in Silence of the Lambs when he like manipulates everyone into the people coming into his cage and he kills the two guards. So like, you could say very Hannibal Lecter. Also, the books existed in I feel like because it's Wes Craven, you have to mention another horror villain. Like, yeah, that's what Scream is. We have to relate it to another pop culture something. They do terrible in this movie about the horror movie stuff. I know. Every time they kind of say it, it kind of feels like a shoehorned in like, oh shit, we need to say something. We'll say a movie title now. Okay, we're done. Yeah, it really feels like that last pass that Wes Craven game was just like, okay, and we'll just throw this name here. <laughs> we're going to make it work. Even though this movie takes place at a studio and it's about a movie, it's a bit cool if Stab was like a reference to like a horror movie that had been out, like a different slasher or something instead of this generic thing just to show the, the houses from the original movie. Yeah, like that's the thing is like, I what is the plot of the movie Stab 3? Because it doesn't make any sense to me. Why are they back at the same houses from the first movie? Why is Gail wearing that outfit from the first movie? Why is Tatum's house there? No, no, it's not Tatum's house. It's Stu's house, but like with, with the dog door where Tatum dies. With the blood stain on it. Even the boat she lands on is there. Or the... <laughs> Exactly. And then why is it the murdered mom set also there? It's like, it's a whole bunch of like, hey, this is going to hit you with all the greatest hits of Scream 1. Yeah, exactly. So basically the whole sequence where that is running through the various sets of her life, that was all Wes Craven who added it in and he paid out of pocket to have the sets rebuilt because he wanted to do that. It's a cool idea. It doesn't fit in this movie, but it's still a cool idea. Exactly. It just doesn't fit a cool idea. I don't know. <sighs> There's a lot of things in this movie that it's just like, okay, we just tried to shove that in there and make that work but that did not work oh god i just thought of like what the whole entire premise of this movie is and then what i just said we're gonna <laughs> shove that in there and that doesn't really work okay exactly. anyways <laughs> oh god back to the detective so uh detective not ben stiller is like oh don't the killers come after the cops in those movies and dr mcdream doctor detective mcdreamy is like yeah but one cop usually makes it and one cop usually doesn't so then gail walks up to them at this point and gail is asking them what do we know is it the same killer and then basically not Ben Stiller is like yo Terminal Entertainment because apparently he doesn't know what she, company she works for he's like this is a crime scene alright like get out of here what the fuck are you doing here <laughs> she's just like Denise Richards in um, Starship Troopers like I'm a pilot and so it's I'm a cop like every five seconds oh Denise Richards should have been in this movie it would have been great anyway <laughs> uh, okay so Detective McDreamy says that Gail's working with them and then Detective not Ben Stiller is like okay well I'm just going to go and dust for fingerprints with Jane Pauly then. Well, so Detective McDreamy is saying there's a new picture of the same person, asking Gail if any of her research has brought anything up yet. And Gail's like, no, because when has she been researching? All she's been doing is arguing with Dewey. Exactly. Like me and Dewey have to fight. Hold 
on. We're busy now. We're busy fighting. Relax, big dreamy. Yeah, go and bribe a girl for a telescope or something. I don't know. So Dewey like pops in. He's like, uh, what about an increased police presence around Jennifer, aka fake Gale? She's the next one to get killed in the script. And Detective McDreamy's like, well, she has a bodyguard and he's Kronk, so I'm pretty confident in him. Besides, like the producers told us that there are three different versions of the script and three different potential victims. So So and this is LA. It's not like we have cops here like that, so we we can't spare extra cops for the other two people that might be getting murdered. We are the LAPD, sir. Okay, we do not do things like investigate murders properly. For example, you know what that what's the case from uh, that Angelina Jolie movie, The Changeling, where they oh. like her son was like kidnapped and they bring in completely different child. They're like, no, you're crazy. This is your child. We're putting you in a mental institution now, even though this is not your child. Did that movie take like in the forties or the fifties or something? Yeah, it was <laughs> in the forties. It's about the Wineville uh, chicken coop murders. Yeah, but like at that point, there was like extra kids around orphanages. And I listen, um, we're just going to give her one and say it's hers and whatever. Oh my God. Speaking of such things, have you ever watched the documentary, The Imposter? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. That's like like a girl goes missing or something or a kid goes missing. And then no some, some, some random guy comes back and says, I'm your son. And they kind of buy it, but not really. So like, yes, but like their young son gets kidnapped. And this man from France, who's like a couple years older than him, has different colored eyes, is not the same person at all, claims to be their son. And they just go along with it because they clearly killed their son. It's just, it's nuts. Anyway, back to this crazy movie. <laughs> so yeah, the detective's like, we're not going to take anything too seriously about fake Gale getting killed because who the fuck cares? Well, the cops this movie do zero police work. They are too busy dusting for fingerprints with Jane Polly, okay? <laughs> they are. Jane Polly, she keeps them busy for a while, man. She has a really busy schedule, and if they can only fingerprint when she's available, it's hard. It's very difficult. You know, this active murder case where people are just dying by the day or by the hour at this point. Uh, okay, so Roman's flipping out because, you know, they got shut down. Fuck, he'll never get to make his love story now. And Kate Gale's trying to be like, it's not the end of the world. And she's like, that's easy for you to say. You can always go back to must-see TV. But he's about to turn 30. And also, it looks like he's going to be the new target of the killer. And Jennifer and Junior are like, what? What do you mean you're going to be the new killer? And he holds up the broken statue with the head missing. He's like, don't you think this is a message? I really love that part. Like, I wish that Roman wasn't the killer so that, like, that part could have been more comical. Roman makes no sense to be the killer. The whole movie, he's the one that makes the least amount of sense to be the killer. I completely agree. It's just shoehorned in. Doesn't make sense. It's like they spit the whole movie like, damn, somebody needs to be the killer. Let's flip a coin. Who's alive still? Roman, you win. The cops approach Roman and they're just like, well, Jenny was supposed to be meeting you, so what the fuck? And he's like, I'm not aware of this meeting. I wasn't supposed to meet her. I don't know what you're talking about. I was stuck in traffic, even though it's impossible for him to have been stuck in traffic because he was there killing her mm -hmm. at the time. So technically the police are right at this point and clone cell phones are impossible to trace. Yeah. So yeah, he's saying that he never calls her uh, or told her to go anywhere and that Dr. McDreamy is like, well, the roommate says that she knows your voice and that she picked up the phone so she identified you. And he's like, well, she wasn't speaking to me. I did not call Vera. Look. And he's like showing his phone. The way that I read that line, I just felt like Tommy Wiseau from the room. I did not get her. I did not. I did not. I did not call. So anyways, he's like, someone's trying to ruin my movie. They want to kill my movie. And then Detective Not Ben Stiller is like, we'll talk about your movie down at station. All right. This is the scene where you come with us. Dun, dun, dun. These lines. Oh, God. Okay. 
we cut back to Roman. He's saying, Dewey, Jennifer, she wasn't talking to me. Oh. And then um, <laughs> the detective Madrini, oh, he needs to call it in, but he his cell phone's dead, so he borrows Dewey's cell phone. We then cut to Sydney's house. She's at her desk and her phone rings. Uh, she answers uh, as Laura with the California Women's Crisis Counseling. And this woman says, oh, Laura, I do have a crisis. And Sydney's like, okay, well, whatever it is, you can tell me. She's like, oh my God, I've killed someone, Laura. She's like, sure. Uh-huh. I'm sure I've killed someone. I know it. Oh my God, I did. Sydney's like, well, then the people you need to call are the police. She's like, no, I need to call you. Just you. Like, like, go say voice. Yeah. Don't you want to know how you can help Laura? Oh yeah, it's her mom's voice. That's right. It's her mom's voice. And then she sees that the call is coming from her home line. And it's like, are you listening to me? It's your mother, Laura. Why are you still calling her Laura? <laughs> now be a good girl and turn her on the news. Do as mother tells you. All right, Mrs. Bates. I had no idea. All right. Exactly. The skeleton's screaming from upstairs. Sorry. Maybe Mommy <laughs> Dearest is doing it. I don't know. Joan Crawford. Oh, she's got the cold cream on her face and she hates the use of wire hangers. Very <laughs> No wire hangers anywhere. Oh, God. And the, Sydney's like, you're not my mother. How'd you get this number? Who is this? And she's like, you know your mother's voice when you hear it. Now turn on the news. So she does. And basically she immediately sees that there is more murders on the set of Stab 3. And she's just like, ah, not again. Turns off the TV. So I have to go back there instead of like, I don't know, New York or like Chicago or like somewhere else, somewhere far, far, far away. Well, because the killer is now on the phone. He's like, just one question. Do you think it's over Sydney? Do you? And then she throws the phone <laughs> and gets a gun out of her drawer. But there's nothing there. This would have been a nice win. Stranger Calls reference. Calls coming from inside the house. But that was Scream 1. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> was it? Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, when Billy called her. Yeah, calls were called. While yeah. she was napping. Yeah. Okay, anyways. So we cut to Jennifer's house. Bronk is, you know, walking the perimeter, making sure everything's fine. Some of the cast are there. And basically, Tom, aka, what's his name in it? It's Fake Dewey, right? Oh, Fake Dewey. Yes, he's Fake Dewey, Tom. I keep on getting Tom and Tyson mixed up in my head. Okay, so Fake Dewey is like, uh, is this a rap party or is this a rap party? 1934 Marines murder flashback? Wait, what? Did I forget that? I guess the movie got shut down at this point. That's why this is happening. They're talking about, oh, he's reading the script. He's tearing the pages out of the script and just like reading them one by one. But it was hilarious. Yeah. Like, oh, the Marine Prescott flashback scene. And Jennifer's like, I like this scene. That's because you weren't in it. And I'm like, oh, that's great. No, she said, I never liked that scene. That's because you weren't in it. Oh, um, I, I, and- I misheard it different. Oh, I like the way I heard it. <laughs> yeah, and then Angelina's like, stop it. You're scaring me. Two people are dead. And then just more debauchery, pretty much. Then we cut to outside. Gail's car pulls up. She goes to the door and rings the bell. No one answers. And she hears Dewey and Jennifer talking. She follows them, uh, looking through the window and watching them. They're talking about Gale. And she can hear very clearly. I don't know if these are like just bad insulation. Is this window open? She's hearing like every word that they're saying. Oh, she's so focused on success that she never thinks about who she's hurting to get it. Jennifer's like, oh, you saved her life how many times? Dewey's like, Gale wants the whole world to love her. One person's never enough. She's a dreamer. And Jennifer's like, she's a narcissistic psycho bitch. Dewey's like, no, she's not. She's got a good heart and she hides it. Blah, blah, blah. And then Kronk comes up behind Gale and grabs her and brings her in and it's like she's been spying on you. They find out that Roman's been released because his 
The call didn't come from his cell phone to Sarah. It came from a cloned cell phone and they're untraceable. So then Gail's showing them the picture of Maureen and she's like, how old do you think she is in this picture? And they're like 19, 20. Gail's like, yeah, that's what I thought. So I checked it out. I can't find any information about her at that age. Nothing. She was in Woodsboro for her whole life except for two years. Yes. And Dewey said like, oh, she lived in Woodsboro her whole life. I was like, nope, she left. No one knows when. She came back a couple years later. And that's then that's like she fell off the face of Earth for those three years. Yeah, there's just a black hole in her history. Gail's like, so why is the killer leaving pictures of Maureen at that point specifically in her life? Like, I don't know. If I thought like a homicidal maniac, then I'd know how a homicidal maniac thinks. Fair point, Dewey. Fair point. But then Dewey grabs a picture and he realizes that it matches up to a picture that Jennifer was just showing him. And it was taken on the back lot of the studio where they are filming Stab 3. So Maureen has been studio. We then cut to outside Dewey's trailer. Kronk is inside of his trailer, checking things out. And stealing change. And stealing change change bizarrely like why Kronk is are you not gonna pay it like I don't know do you really need these like nickels and dimes it was there was a couple pennies in there like <laughs> I'm just like this is pathetic sir um, but anyways oh, this is when like he gets a call from Dewey but it's actually the killer exactly so this like I was actually my mouth dropped at what he says to do here because like what the fuck if it had actually been Dewey on the line what is wrong with you because basically Dewey's like get back to the house uh, you need to take care of Jennifer I'm leaving whatever and he's like I wouldn't call you if it wasn't important. What are you doing in my trailer anyway? And Kronk is like, me, I'm just checking to make sure there's no killer in here waiting to off you like he did your sister. Cross the line there. That's so messed up. It was so messed up. The killer got upset and kill- and kills Dewey. I mean, kills Kronk. Kills Kronk. Yeah. So Dewey, aka Ghostface, says, what did you say? I can't believe you said that. That makes me. And then Ghostface jumps out angry. And then he kills Kronk. And like, fair. As I'm watching this yesterday, I'm like, all right, this is the only time the killer in any of these movies that I can remember is trying not to kill somebody because he's trying just to get in the, leave the trailer. Just get out of here. I don't want to kill you. Just leave. But since he won't leave, that's when he kills him. That's true. I didn't think of it that way. And he only kills him because, you know, Kronk's a jerk. I think he was going to kill him anyway, which just like makes all of this more confusing. I don't know. Did they think anything through on this movie? Because if he's going to kill him, like you're in the trailer already, right? Yeah. It's an enclosed space. It's easy to kill him in there. Why would you want him to leave the trailer? Yeah. You could have done the ghost face voice from the beginning and then killed him instead of you know the do we get out of the trailer voice i don't know roman does not a good killer make so many questions as roman as a killer especially because he tries to claim that he's the director of all previous murders it's just like you suck really you talk to aunt jackie in part two really anyway okay we cut to the jennifer's living room Dewey and gail enter they realize that the room is empty they're looking for everyone one by one the actors show up with really stupid jump square jump scares quote unquote not really that jumpy or scary we then realize that stone is outside the front door and he's all bloody and like doing the zombie walk towards them before he dies and then they're like oh no he's dead everyone has to get back inside and then they're all breathing heavily and trying to figure out what to do and wouldn't he think Dewey killed him or Dewey stabbed him wouldn't Kronk think that that's what he would think right that's what he thought he was talking to I think that's why he's pointing at Dewey no he's pointing at like his hand like a, like a phone like he got a call I thought he pointed into the house I don't know he falls he's dead everyone runs inside then they run out to the backyard and then the phone rings then they all check their cell phone and realize that it's not their cell phones. It's the fax machine. Now, children, this is another ancient bit of technology <laughs> that used to be common in our lives. Yeah. I remember the days of sending faxes to my friends of stupid drawings <laughs> for no reason. And I have a question about the fax machine. Yeah. Okay, the killer is sending faxes, right? Mm-hmm. From where? From the secret theater room. <laughs> <laughs> but the killer's right outside. It's only one killer. <laughs> the killer's right 
from Dewey's trailer, okay? Dewey has a fax machine in his trailer. <laughs> That's why he was in the trailer. He needed to use the fax machine. Like, damn it. Solved it all. Got Trump it. came here. Oh, I can't send these faxes because he's going to hear yeah, all the it's beeps. it's going to be too loud. He's going to hear all the beeps. I can't just send this quietly. Just Ugh. like loud dial tone. <laughs> so I need him to get out of here so I can send these faxes real quick. Okay. Yep. We made sense of this movie. All right. Perfect. I'm like, can't send these with a cell phone at that point in time. And even now, it's not even easy. You got to download these apps. and it's, it's complicated to do them now. Really impossible then. So yes, it's the facts. They run inside. Jennifer uses the flashlight to read the pages. They are script pages. Let's not go outside where there's light. Oh yeah, by the way, right? they cut the power in the house. Oh yeah, I forgot that point. But the fax machine is still plugged in at work. Because the fax machine doesn't need power. No, no. it runs on phone lines and phone lines alone. <laughs> Come on, it runs battery backup and magic. Okay, so she's reading the pages. Interior, Jennifer's house, living room, night. With the bodyguard stabbed to death, the five stand trapped. As the killer waits outside, suddenly the fax machine sends news of their fate. And he's like, it's a trap. Everyone get outside. It says the killer's waiting outside. Get outside. Like, that's where the killer is not. And they're all just like, what? No, isn't that what he wants us to do? We should stay here. Blah. And then Jennifer continues. Our fake Gale continues. The killer prepares to grant mercy to only one of them. And then real Gale's like, okay, do you not get it? The killer says he is outside because he wants us inside. Come on. Fake Gale. Yeah, we've been through this before. We know how this works. But no, let's not listen to it. Yeah. Fake Gale. Who will survive? Is it Jennifer, Tom, Angelina, Dewey, Gale? The killer will give mercy to dot 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 dot. Ooh! And they're all talking. Dewey drags Jennifer out or fake Gale out of the house and Angelina and Tom follow. Fake Gale attempts to run back in because she wants to know what happens next. And Gale's like, wait for the fucking movie. Good luck. Not for nothing. Good luck. Yeah. And Tom's like, no, I've got to go. I'm going back. So he does. And then he reads, the killer will grant mercy to dot 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 whoever. And then he can't read it. And they're all like, whoever, whoever. And he's like, I can't see shit. And then he goes and grabs a lighter out of nowhere and turn and flips it on to read the last page of the script. You know, couldn't go to a moonbeam or run over to Jennifer with the script page because Outside, she still nothing. has the flashlight. No. no. Well, they did set this up because they have a lighter in his pocket when he was burning the script pages earlier and when the scene oh, started. that's where he got the lighter. I was really like, where lighter from? Anyway, okay, yeah. So, fancy shit. Turns on the lighter and it says, I'll grant mercy to whoever can smells the gas. And then the house explodes and Tom evaporates like Voldemort at the end of the Harry Potter series. Okay, so they all roll down the hill and scream as you wish. <laughs> Just to go. So Dewey rolls farther than the others and then he finally stops and then he hears both Gale and Jennifer screaming his name. Uh, he goes towards Gale. He spots her on the street below, but then Ghostface jumps out from behind her. He shoots Ghostface several times in the chest and they fall to the ground. Dewey goes down to check on Gale, but by the time that they turn around, Ghostface has gone. They think that they rolled under the car, but they aren't there. Dewey's like, he's fast. I could have sworn that I hit him. He hit him like three times. Exactly. And then Gale and Dewey almost kiss, but then fake Gale enters and she's like, what the fuck happened to you? Who gave you a place to stay? Who are you supposed to be protecting? And she punches Dewey and then Gale punches her, a la Sydney in the first movie, punching Gale in the face. And Jennifer, aka fake Gale, says, um, my lawyer liked that. Then uh, a noise is heard and Angelina enters randomly from the hill. And like, at this point, I was just like, was she with them this entire time? Was she up there when it exploded? I can't remember. She was with them. They didn't say, how'd you get all the way over there? Like she was where she should have been if she jumped 
from the house when it exploded. They made it sound like it could, like she could be the killer, maybe, even though she couldn't have been because the killer left the other way from where she came, rolled under the, the car, ran around the block. One second here. I'm going back up into the script. So when Tom explodes, it says the house explodes. Tom can briefly be seen in the center of the explosion. Gail, Dewey, and Jennifer scream and run. Angelina has disappeared. As the house continues to explode, Dewey, Gail, and Jennifer jump off the balcony and roll down the hill. She was on the balcony with them. She was in the backyard with them, but like in my head, I was like, she didn't go down the hill. I don't remember her going down the hill. But she had nowhere else to go. She either went off the hill or went through the exploding house. I know, but she disappears like randomly. Yeah. So anyways, so she disappears, then she shows up again and she's just acting like a little off, in my opinion. Like she's just like, Tom was in the house. And it's like, yeah, no show. We all watched him blow up. And Dewey's Dewey's like, how'd you end up way over there? And she's like, oh my God, Tom was in the house. Are we safe? And Dewey's like, safe from who? And then we just cut away from that. Oh, and then, oh, 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 sorry. We cut away from that because Dewey finds another picture that Ghostface just kind of like dropped after they like were shot three times and like rolled under a car and they're like, oh, wait, pulls out picture. Oh, damn, I forgot. Let me go back. Like, anyways, yeah, it's just ridiculous because they looked for Ghostface under the car. They didn't notice the picture then. They want us to think she might be one of the killers, but like they did a bad job. Okay, fun fact that I haven't burnt yet. All she right. was the second killer and then studios made them cut it because they only wanted one killer. So all of her scenes are still there to set her up as the killer. They just didn't film her in the reveal. Even her death, it's like so uh, not graphic or whatever. It looks like she just like got very vaguely stabbed and fell down the stairs and then they drag her off screen. No one actually sees her dead body up close. No, you see her get dragged off. Which was why she was supposed to be, oh, she didn't actually die from that. And then she comes back at the end was theory, but they cut all of that. So that's why she has nothing to do in this movie because she's kind of barely in. And that's why she has this weird turn at the end. Like she's like super nice the whole movie. Then all of a sudden she's like, screw this. I I fucked this dude and I'm going to die. I'm leaving. I'm like, all right. Yeah. And then dies immediately. Like It's just like, the fuck? Anyways, they find the picture. It's a picture of Maureen Prescott. She was like, oh, it's another picture. But then on the back are written the words, I killed her with I underlined. We cut to Dr. McDreamy's office and he's like, whoever it is, they're taking credit for Maureen Prescott's murder now. And then Gail's like, but we know that it was Billy and Stu who killed her. Um, They told Sydney how they did it. And Detective McDreamy's like, if I'm not mistaken, you said in your book that Sydney got it wrong before she accused Cotton Weary of murdering her mother and he was sent away for it. Maybe there's a third killer. Sydney might know something. And then Dewey's just like, no, I told you, I don't know where Sid is, blah. And this is the whole part where he's like, oh, you're keeping Sydney from me, blah, 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 blah. And Dewey mentions something about, you've talked to her father and he would have known everything about Maureen Prescott. And at this point, anything else Sydney would have known about the killings two movies ago would have come out, if not after the first killings, the second round of killings. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, they're like, okay, look, we all know, sorry, Gail is saying this, uh, we all know that this has something to do with Stavry. Uh, what we do not know is why the killer keeps leaving pictures of Maureen Prescott taken over 25 years ago. Detective McDreamy mentions how they're taken on the same studio as the shooting of Stab. And yeah, this is where Dewey's, we need to talk to Sydney because who would know her better? Maureen Prescott better than Sydney. Dewey's like, no, you can talk to her dad. He, he was married to her. He knows enough. He should know her pretty good, right? I'm thinking maybe. Yeah. And then 
Detective McDreamy is like threatening Dewey with a polygraph test to tell him where she is. Yeah. And I'm like, what's that going to do? It's a yes or no question in a polygraph test. So like, you'll say, yes, I know where she is. OK, where is she? I'm still not telling you. If the first number or phone number one, yes or no. <laughs> OK, is it two? Yes or no? Like, it's going to be a while. But yeah. So, OK, the detective is accusing Dewey of obstructing justice at this point. We cut to Dewey in the hallway. He's calling Sydney, leaving another message on her machine, as he says, that he's called her five times at this point. But then Sydney enters the police station behind him wearing the exact same outfit that she was wearing at the end of Scream 2. Really? Necklace and all. Wow, that's great. Pretty well identical. And she even has Derek's Greek letters on her next cell. And I'm like, did you just walk off of that set onto this set? <laughs> you had so little time. <laughs> they had so little time. Listen, we didn't, We have no clothes for her. We have this clo- the clothes she had off of the last movie. We still have that outfit, so we're just going to use that we again. We haven't watched it yet. I hope she doesn't mind. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So Sydney shows up. Dewey brings her into the room with the detective. He does his usual, You're, it's not safe for you to be here because, you know, whatever. And Sydney's like, the killer called me, so it's not safe for me to be anywhere. That's not exactly true. It's just not safe yeah. for you to be home, I guess. <laughs> you can go to yeah. a third location where people aren't being murdered. But, you know. I'm sure she'd be safe in Seattle or something. You know, she can <laughs> go Space Needle. Like, I would just move out of America, man. Get as far as you can away from the country that, like, has made you infamous for these murders. And, like, you know, change your name. Simple things. But anyway. Alright, because the police are looking for her, right? Because they want me to think McDreamy's the killer. So the police are looking for her. So the police, you're telling me, they have no resources to find somebody that's using the same name? Also, why by, like, Scream 5 have they not put Sydney in witness protection? Because at the end of every movie, all the murders have been solved, and we know who the killer is. Like, alright, no one's gonna hunt you. We got the person who did it, so I guess go home? Like, this just does not seem like a good plan, friends. But, oh well. And in part four, it's her family that does her in. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. But anyways, okay. So Sydney and the detective McDreamy finally meet, you know, her future husband and future killer, maybe. We don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Our part six theory, you know, it's McDreamy yeah. and her and the children killing Wednesday Adams. So Dewey says that the killer called her. Dr. Doctor Detective McDreamy is like, what? When? Gail's like, what do you say? And Sydney's like, oh, you know, the usual small talk. What's new? How you been? How do you want to die? <laughs> Which I appreciated. And Dewey's just like, do you have any idea how they could have gotten your number? The detective's like, oh, maybe it was a monitored like call scanner uh did you call her from the set and do no and she's like do you have her number stored in the memory of your phone he's like oh yeah i guess i do no no so, you missed the like, joke i love this if the phone the phone store in the memory he goes starts thinking in his brain like yeah it's in my mind up here she's like no the phone you idiot like, oh yeah wait hold on yeah it's here whoops uh yeah okay so yes basically he was like have you let anyone else use your phone then they like, could have gotten a number and he's like just jennifer and then he's like, and the detective dun 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 let's set him up more yeah but how did roman get them uh, um, <laughs> like, it's like, all right, fine. The detective had a chance to get it. Then he had Dewey's phone. He was having shared hallucinations <laughs> with Sydney about Prescott. <laughs> and in it, she kept on calling her Laura. And then she was like, hmm, maybe I need to look for a Laura instead. And that's how he found her. Unless, not to help this movie at all, when Ghostface was in his trailer, he found it in the trailer. But wasn't that after he had already called it? Yeah, it was. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So they show Sydney the photographs of her mother and like explain how they've been taken at the same studio that the film was being taken. And they're asking if she knows why her mom would have ever been on that studio. And she's like, no, but she wants to go to see it. You want to see these buildings? Oh, sure. Okay. Don't know why. I want to go to the murder scene. Take me there. 
Okay, random citizen. Let's go. Let's take you to this murder scene. We need you out this movie for the next 25 minutes anyway. So let's go. So we cut to Sunrise Studios and Detective McDreamy and Dewey's cars are pulling in. And I'm reading the script here and it's like, he almost hits a guy on a bike. Two men dressed as aliens walk by. Watch the fucking aliens. <laughs> okay. So basically they're on set. There's nothing happening. Oh, Martha. This is the Martha scene. Okay. Yeah. Here we are. I was confused. Okay. So they're on set. Martha Meeks, Randy's little sister, pops out of a trailer a ra- at random and somebody tries to shoot her. Oh, Wallace, the uh, not, not Ben Stiller. Yeah, not Ben Stiller trying to shoot her. And I'm like, all right, that's at this point in the movie, was like, is there no security on the lot? Can anybody just walk in the studio and get anywhere they need to go? Because this girl has nothing to do with anything. She's just here now. And they let her in and let her hang on a trailer. I'm kind of regretting not, you know, just trying to show up on screen dicks is that because apparently right. it's really easy. Apparently, just walk through. Anyways, Martha's like, don't shoot. I'm only 17, which, okay, why not? Don't shoot. I'm innocent. <laughs> like, don't shoot. I didn't do anything. <laughs> My age matters here. I have not given consent for this to be shot. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. So. And this might be the best scene in the movie. Or at least it's my favorite scene in the movie. A Brandy's scene? It's the only scene that feels like a Scream movie. That feels like it's Scream is this part. Yes. Like, they, they just missed a lot of fun in Scream. And, like, instead just added things that don't make sense. Okay. So, turns out it's Randy's little sister. Dewey recognized her as this Sydney, but Gail has never met her. Didn't know that Randy even had a sister. She's a great journalist. Anyways. <laughs> so, Martha explains that she's there because she has something that they should see. She holds up a cassette tape that says, Scary Movies 101. We cut to inside of the trailer and she pops in a videotape and it's Randy, Jamie Kennedy on the tape. He says, told you I'd make a movie someday, huh? And Sydney's like, oh my God, Randy. And Randy's like, well, if you're watching this tape, it means as I feared, I did not survive the killings here at Windsor College. And that giving up my virginity to Karen Kolchak at the video store was probably not a good idea. And Dewey's like, Karen Kolchak? Randy's like, yes, Karen Kolchak. Dewey, (laughs) creepy Karen? Randy, shut up! (laughs) She's a sweet person, okay? We were working late we were putting away some videos in the porno section and you know shit happened so anyways it was great i just love like the reactions that like lined up perfectly anyways then there's a knock at the door and it's randy's roommate and he's like open the door and randy's like 15 minutes and he's like it's my room too randy's just like paul 15 minutes paul dead <laughs> like it's just like such a beautiful like little cutaway scene of him just screaming at almost like he was gonna be killed in like a day i know but like i just everything about this scene like him talking about losing his virginity him yelling at his roommate like it's just these little pieces that are just so randy and so amazing and so hilarious and what we needed in this film because right, we need a lot more of this they miss randy so okay anyway reason i'm here is to help you so that my death will not be in vain that my life's work will help you save some other poor soul from getting mutilated if this killer does come back he's for real there are a few things that you gotta remember is this simply another sequel well if it is same rules apply but here's the critical thing if you find yourself dealing with an unexpected backstory and a preponderance? Preponderance. Preponderance. Thank you. I can speak English, I swear. Uh, <laughs> then, then the sequel rules do not apply because you are not dealing with a sequel. You are dealing with the polluting chapter of a trilogy. If only. If only it was the final chapter of a trilogy. But even if this was the final, like I would be so upset. I was so upset for years. Yeah, because it took like 10 years, I think, for four to come on after this. Yeah, I was like, this was the worst end to the trilogy. But anyway, Randy said, that's right. It's a rare in the horror field but it does exist and it's forced to be reckoned with because true trilogies are all about going back to the beginning and discovering something that wasn't true from the get-go godfather jedi all revealed something that we thought was true that wasn't true and neither were horror movies so if it is a trilogy you are dealing with here are some 
super trilogy rule. One, you got a killer who's going to be superhuman. Stabbing him won't work. Shooting him won't work. Basically, in the third one, you got to cryogenically freeze his head, decapitate him, or blow him up. Number two, anyone, including the main character, can die. This means you said, I'm sorry, it's the final chapter. It can be fucking Reservoir Dogs by the time this thing is through. Number three, the past will come back to bite you in the ass. Whatever you think you know about the past, forget it. The past is not at rest. Any sins you think were committed in the past are about to break out and destroy you. So in closing, let me say good luck. Godspeed. And for some of you, I'll see you soon. Because the rules say some of you ain't gonna make it. I didn't. Not if you're watching this tape. And that's where the tape cuts. Even though everybody in the room makes it. Okay, we cut to outside. Martha and Sydney are hugging and saying goodbye to each other and that they'll visit soon. Whatever. Bullshit. Bullshit. Gail decides to split off from them saying that she works better alone. And Sydney's like, oh, I see nothing's changed. We cut to Gail. She's trying to get into the Sunrise Studios archive building, but the door is locked. Then fake Gail pops up behind her and she goes on this whole entire speech of like, here's how I see it. I've got no house, no bodyguard, no movie, and I'm being stalked because someone wants to kill me. No, someone wants to kill you. If so now, starting now, I go where you go. That way, if someone wants to kill me, I'll be with you. And since they really want to kill you, they won't kill me. They'll kill you. Makes sense? And Gail's like, no. It actually does. It does. It's worded kind of messed up, but it totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't work for her, unfortunately. No, no not at all. But she had a good idea. Yep. I would have bought a plane ticket to Hawaii, but that's me. One of her very few good ideas that still failed. Okay, so then she helps Gail get into the building because she has a studio key card that opens the door. They head down to the basement where they meet Princess Leia and they make like a reference of like, you look just like her. And she's just like, yep, but Carrie Fisher got the role because she's the one who slept with George Lucas. And I had forgotten the whole rest of like the Maureen Prescott like story and like the casting couch happening there. So I was just like, with this, I'm like, Woof, okay. They they didn't know what they were doing. They were in a Harvey Weinstein movie mentioning the casting couch, like, in like a offhand remark that's that's rough it only got worse <laughs> they did not hold back on the harvey weinstein stuff in this movie yeah uh so carrie fisher at first seems very unhelpful and then fake gail bribes her with a ring after real gail tried 50 dollars and it didn't work so she gives her a two thousand dollar ring they go into the file room and carrie fisher's just like yeah i know every single face in here and i'm like how it's a huge archive with like millions i don't know yeah so many files how would you know this random actress that was in three it sounds like sea horror movies for real they sound like these movies from the 50s like the think from outer space kind of movies yeah like it's crap movie <laughs> like ripoffs of the creature from the black lagoon that's like the odd man in wet clothes <laughs> like, or something like that. The odd man in wet clothes i like it yeah but Terry fisher she knows her face right away and she's like yeah you wouldn't find her under maureen roberts but you would find her under rena reynolds because not only do i have a photograph memory i also remember everyone's name as well as their face. they would have found it eventually but they would have like probably had like three or four cops if they, you know if the cops did police work after they figured mm -hmm. out these were like probably headshots or something they probably would have gone there themselves and like posted in there and just until they looked found it after like a month or whatever yeah and it would have been like okay how are your files organized are they do they happen to be by date okay excellent let's pull all the ones from this date range and look through every single headshot until we find her that's the realistic way of how they would found her but no carrie fisher just knows her <laughs> she used the force she found the file it all worked out then nothing really happens here other than finding out oh that 
that John Milton produced all of the horror pictures that yep. she was in. We find out that. So that's how we find the connection. So then we cut to Dewey and Detective Not Ben Stiller waiting outside the bathroom for Sydney. And it's the exact same bathroom from Scream 1 where she's attacked. It looked like it. It's exactly the same. It's in the fun facts. They rebuilt it. Because they even did like the same scene thing as the girl standing on the toilet instead of stepping off the toilet with the same kind of boots. Yeah, exactly. So Sydney hears something in one of the stalls and she bends down and she sees two black combo boots as someone steps up onto the toilet. She pulls out what I think is pepper spray. Yeah, it's pepper spray. Yeah, and then knocks down the stall's door and standing on the toilet is Angelina with a ghost face mask and like a cell phone and like, I don't even know what else. And she's like, oh my God, you're actually Sydney. Oh, I, I was playing you in the film. Oh, I'm so sad that it's like not happening and that's why I'm stealing these props and whatever. Like that was supposed to be her being caught changing into the ghost face costume because she was supposed to be the killer. But then they cut all that. So yeah, she walks off and then Sydney follows after her because she had dropped what did she drop a hairbrush yeah which makes sense for her to be one of the killers because the scenes leads to his her being chased by the killer again exactly it only makes sense for it to be angelina really but anyway so sydney follows her and then she follows her out into the set and she basically just walks into the set of her life she emerges from a door into Stu mackner's house and there's as we said before the replica of the doggy door where tatum died and there's still blood and like the boat where sydney jumped off the roof and fell into it's all there and she's remembering all of the events of the first movie. As she gets into her bedroom, she starts remembering that first scene that we see between her and Billy in the first film where he sneaks into her bedroom. She then hears a noise outside on the set so she goes to the window to look out and then the door of the room slams shut. So she begins to ready herself. She pulls out the mace. She does the door locking trick that we saw in the first movie where the closet door can lock the bedroom door and then suddenly Ghostface pops up behind her in the window. He smashes through and drags her out. They struggle and then she runs away. She screams for Dewey and then she starts running through the house, various locked doors, whatever. The killer jumps out of the closet behind her. And then she like jump out the window. That's later. Like basically there's like this whole thing where like she's running various places on the set and then she goes upstairs and then upstairs there's a door that leads into her bedroom but it's one story above the bedroom so it just like it's a like drop into the bedroom. So she like hides and like holds on to the like siding beside the door and lets go say it's like open the door and then like pulls him out and throws him and he falls on the bed. Real successful sin. And then vanishes. Yeah, and then she goes to like check because like assumes that he's going to come upstairs and try again. He's just gone. And then this is when she jumps out of the window, I think. Oh, no, no, no. Female voice off stage. It's uh, Maureen's voice. Oh, yeah, because then she sees the bedroom, the, the murder scene. Yeah. Bedroom. yeah, she's, yes, mother will protect you from the boogeyman. And then Sydney enters the set of her mother's bedroom. There is blood splattered all over the room. A body is lying on the floor. The voice is saying, hide in mommy's bed. I lied, Sydney. I can't protect you at all. You don't deserve to be protected. You didn't protect me. And then we hear Billy's voiceover saying, we did your mama favor, Sid. That woman was a slut whore who flashed her shit all over town. She, like she was Sharon Stone so from the first movie. And then she was, because let's face it, your mother was no Sharon. And then they're talking about how like Maureen was sleeping with Billy's dad, blah, 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 blah. Huey is off stage, but screaming for Sydney, asking where she is. Sydney is crying, screaming for Dewey. And then she turns to see that the body of her mother is covered in a sheet and standing up and saying, give mommy a kiss, we'll make up, Sydney. And this is the part where 
where I'm just like, this is clearly like just a scene from a nightmare on Elm Street. But then again, like you could tell like when she stands up in the body bag, like Tina mm-hmm. does in that movie. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's not in her dream because the killer does it later. So uh, is it the killer was doing the voice changer thing, making her hear things? That's what I assume is happening here. But then everyone goes up to the scene. They say that there's no one up there. I guess the set would have still been set up. Yeah, but then how would the killer later know that she saw that? Yeah, I don't know. Like clearly the killer was there doing that. So like went from being Ghostface to being Maureen Prescott. I don't know. With the magical voice changer, you know, just with every voice known to man in the changer. Man, I need to get me one of those now. Oh, oh gosh. So Sydney screams, she jumps out a window and then rolls off the roof. He lands on the ground and you see the ground bounce underneath her because it's clearly like a foam pad. So she's crying hysterically. She says the killer's in the house upstairs and my mother, my mother, I heard her voice. I saw her, Dewey. And so Dewey's trying to calm her down and Sydney's insisting that she saw her but he believes her. And then Angelina Tyson and Detective McDreamy run out over to them asking what happened. And then we cut to outside the state. Angelina is giving testimony to uh, Detective not Ben Stiller saying that she stole the mask or whatever. And like, he's being like, stole, stole, you stole. And she's like, I took it as a souvenir. And he's like, I take this shit seriously. What? You said the word stole. But every time that guy want to be Ben Stiller shows up, it's like joke time. Yeah. But they're not good. Yeah. Like, it's just short man complex as yeah. a character. Pretty much. But yeah. Anyways, basically, Sydney's like, he was in there. I, I wasn't dreaming and I'm not crazy. He was in Woodsboro, she says. And then Detective McDreamy is like, well, that's not Woodsboro, Sydney. And she's like, you know what I mean, but he was there or she or whatever. And Detective McDreamy is just like, we're going to take you back to the station and keep you under watch, um, put you in a safe house, whatever it takes. And then he puts her in her car. And then Dewey says that he believes her and that he'll be watching. Then Gail and Fake Gail walk up to Dewey. Gail hands him a picture. Of Prescott, right? Oh, no, it's the pictures they got from the archives. Yeah, hands him a picture from the archives. That's what it is. And Dewey's like, yeah, it's Sydney, where'd you get this? And they're like, the archives. She was an actress. She was in movies, horror movies. And they're all by Milton. So cut to John Milton's office. He and Roman are talking. And this is like one of these things which like makes no sense for him to, to be the killer because he's like bitching and complaining and moaning, which makes sense. Like they shut his movie down. He wants to work. Like, he's going to be like marked because there's all his actors are being murdered in this movie. So no one's going to, he's not going to get any more jobs and stuff like that, which if you cared about that, if you're the killer, why would you be doing this part of things? Well, my idea is that he's trying to make himself not seem like the killer. Like, woe is me. Clearly everyone being killed on my film is a detriment to me. So why would I be the killer? He even says, I'm not a criminal. I was questioned, but that's all it was. I was just questioned. And like, Milton's like, oh, okay, that's good for your mystique. And he's like, ooh, that'll help. Yeah, Roman's like, you think it'll help me get work? And then Dewey Gale and fake Gale enter. And so Gale's just like, Rena Reynolds? And Roman's like, Rena Reynolds? Who's Rena Reynolds? And Milton's just like, why don't you head to your house? Tell everyone not to cut the cake without me. And then fake Gale's like, oh God, I forgot it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Roman. And he's like, yeah, as if life wasn't tragic enough. All right, sad boy. It's okay. <laughs> so Milton tries to shut the doors and then Dewey's like, so you knew Sidney Prescott's mother? And he's like playing dumb and saying like, do you know how many actors have worked for me? Hundreds. And Gail says, we didn't say that she was an actor. And then he's like, okay, so what's your point? And then Dewey says that he'll call Detective McDreamy. And then he's like, I remember her. Oh yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, she was a bit player in a couple of my movies, a nobody. So what does it matter? And then fake Gail is like, oh, come on. You have made millions off the story of her murder. You're obsessed with her. You're obsessed with her daughter. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, relax. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Geraldo, calm down. 
why don't you tell us the truth is what Gail asked him. And he says, what the hell are you guys getting at? I make horror films. That's what I do. The studio came to me with Stab. You can check that out. He's like, yeah, but you knew who she was. He's like, when we did the first Stab, I realized I'd known Maureen Prescott before. I mean, as Rena. I couldn't tell anyone. Can you imagine the press? And then uh, Gail's like, I mean, but now and like there's murders on your set and you're still saying nothing. And he's like, get real. That would make me a suspect. And Gail's like, just because you know her? He says, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, no. Just what happened to her while she was here. And he's like, now you listen to me, Lois Lane. Let it go. Okay. Great reference. Gail's just like, no, I'll dig it up for like national TV if you want. So why don't you just tell me what happened? He's like, it was the 70s. Everything was different, except not because the producer of this movie is still doing the exact same thing. Because it's still going on now. Yep. I was well known for my parties. Rena knew what they were. It was for girls like her to meet men, men who could get them part if they made the right impression. Nothing happened to her that she didn't invite in one way or another, no matter what she said afterwards. And Gail's like, are you saying that she was? And Milton says, I'm saying that things got out of hand. Maybe they did take advantage of her. Maybe the sad truth is this is not the city for innocent. No charges were brought. And the bottom line is Rena Reynolds wouldn't play by the rules. You want to get ahead in Hollywood? You got to play the game or go home. Chilling words from a movie produced by Harvey Weinstein. Anyways, we'll move on from that disturbing thought. Cut to McDreamy. He's questioning Sydney. Sydney asks him, what do you know about trilogies? And he's like, you mean like movie trilogies? And she says, you seem to like movies, detective. And he said, oh, call me Mark, would you? Because I'm going to keep calling you Sydney. And she's like, I'll call you Mark when you catch the killer, detective. Fair enough. Yeah. He's like, all I know about movie trilogies is that the third one, all bets are off. And he said, did you request this case? Creamy says, no, they tend to put me on the ones that deal with business. I grew up here. I know my way around the studios. And he says, must be exciting. Beautiful place. Beautiful. Creamy says, me, Hollywood is about death. And he says, me, I'm a homicide detective. Remember when you see what I see? day in and day out the violence that people do to each other you get haunted i think you know that about that yeah, it's not like i'm a killer or anything come on why would you even yeah. think that but then they like continue to have this conversation that is like a very thinly veiled conversation about ptsd and how they both suffer from it yeah <laughs> but like neither goes right out and talks about it they're just like yeah you know you can't arrest a ghost and it's all like out of nowhere like all right by the way no back to the movie yeah exactly he oh he's asking what she knew about her mother and then Sydney says, I used to think she was perfect mom, perfect family, till I found out I was wrong. She had a secret life and I tried to understand that. And as soon as I thought I had more secrets, I don't know who my mom was. And then the detective is like, you know who she was to you. Here's the deal. I'm off to search the set. That's the good news. He says, how is that good news? He says, because that means we're that we're dealing with an ordinary flesh and blood killer. And I know how to handle guys that. It's like they want you to think it's him, but they don't. Oh my God. Wait, I, I missed my like favorite oh. emo kid pathetic line. What's your favorite scary movie detective my life <laughs> then he flicks his hair to the side and it was covering his face then he flicks it over to reveal like i'm an emo kid non-conformist as can be exactly but anyway okay we cut to dewey's car fake gail is saying that milton's the key to everything and gail's saying that he's a pervert not a killer and basically fake gail is insulting real gail and saying that like she played her way smarter and stuff like that and then sydney calls dewey Sydney, quote unquote, but like the way that she's speaking, we can tell it's the killer. Even though it's her voice, it doesn't sound like Sydney the way that Sydney talks. And then cuts, cuts the car 
conversation off real short and everything. Yeah, she says that John Milton called her, which doesn't make any sense, yeah. and said that he had something to tell me about my mom. I'm going to meet him at his house. And it's like, what? That makes no sense. And she's like, no, it's fine. Detective McDreamy's with me. Anyways, so Dewey's like, okay, we're still on our way, whatever. And then he says, looks like we're going to that party after all. They cut to uh, Milton's mansion. Dewey's car pulls up and Gail, Dewey, and fake Gail enter. Roman's there and he's like, hey guys, come join the party. And Angelina is already there as well. Tyson's there. They say that they're there for Sydney and Roman's like, I didn't invite her. And Gail says, well, she's on her way. And Roman's like, oh, the more the merrier. Just random chat about how amazing the house is at Milton's house. Apparently he has a secret screening room that was the scene back in the 70s. You know, it was drinks, drugs, girls, and movies and shit. We gotta find it. Yeah, we have to find it. And then basically everyone goes off trying to find it, but Dewey and Gail say that they're going to stay there and wait. Then Jennifer goes with, our fake Gail goes with Roman and they go down to the basement, which is like prop room pretty much. And fake Gail refuses to go all the way down into the basement because she's scared and Roman goes on her own. We cut to Angelina and Tyson. They're walking up the stairs. Nothing really happening. No, nothing. It's just people walking around the empty house. Nothing really goes down until I think Ghostface shows up. Yeah, Roman's in the basement. He lifts up a Ghostface mask. There's nothing behind it but a styrofoam head. Um, da, 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 da. We cut to Gail and Dewey in the living room. There's no sign of Sydney. Uh, Gail asks him to check his caller ID on the cell phone and then press redial. A phone rings. They open a closet door to find a cell phone and Ghostface mask and the voice changer. Leaves everything right there for him. Yeah. Gail grabs the voice changer, starts playing with it, and as she does, her voice starts coming out as different people's, that's Dewey's, and then the last voice that comes out is Roman. And they say that they have everyone's voice on there, we need to go and find Sydney and, like, help them, whatever. Dewey finds Tyson, then we cut to Gail, she's searching for Jennifer and Roman. She opens the basement door, she goes down to the basement and she reaches for a coffin that Roman had been checking out earlier that had just had, like, a prop body in it, but now it has Roman's dad body and Gail goes and checks Pulse and then fake Gail pops out from behind her and she's like, is he dead? And she's like, Barry! And then they run upstairs and down the hall. Does Gail not know how to check a pulse? I'm guessing no. He's very much not dead. Don't understand that one, but okay. They still didn't know who the killer was going to be at this point. Apparently they did because they told, what's his name? Scott Foley is the killer? That's the actor's name? I think so, yeah. They told him like a few weeks on to them once he was on set that he was okay. the killer. So I think they knew that he was one of the killers at this point point. and Wes Craven's only comment was, you can take drugs to slow down your heart rate. Right this movie I watched as a kid. It was called Mikey. It's about a murder. It's about a killer kid. Apparently in that movie, I don't know if this is true or not, you put like a ball in your armpit and put your arm down and then if they try to take your pulse, they can't. That was a big plot point in that movie. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. We need to ask Ross. This is usually my thing when like something medical happens on a show and it just seems really unrealistic. I turn around and I'm like, does that? And he's like, no, no, no. None of this makes sense. Okay. So Gail and fake Gail are running around trying to find Dewey. Angelina pops up from behind a picture. Everyone screams. Angelina is like, sorry, I found a secret passageway. Well, that makes sense. If she was one of the killers, she would know about it because Roman knows about him. Yeah. And then Gail's like, the killer's here. And Angelina's like, what? And Gail's like, come on, let's leave. And then Angelina's like, no, let go. I'm getting out of here. And Gail's like, Angelina, you're not safe alone. You need to listen to me. And Angelina's like, I did not fuck that pig Milton to get a leading role just to die here with second rate celebrities like you two. And she runs away. My question on this part was, they find her. Hey, come with me. We're leaving. No, I'm not coming with you to leave. I'm leaving. I'm like, wait, everybody, they were trying to leave. Yeah, none of this makes sense. But we cut to Angelina running away. And then getting stabbed. She's yelling at them that you guys should get out too. It's crazy to still be here. And then she runs into the killer, screams, he stabs her. Fake Gail and real Gail can hear her. They run after her. She screams again. The killer stabs her again and lowers her to the ground. And then 
fake Gale and real Gale reach the top of the stairs, look down, they see Angelina's dead body being dragged away. They turn, look at each other and scream. Then they run back to Dewey. We cut to Dewey. He finds them and gets the update that Roman and Angelina are dead. Do we know that Tyson? No, Tyson's still alive at this point. Is he? I thought he was yeah. dead too. Uh-uh. So the killer jumps out and punches Dewey at this point. Then Gale and fake Gale run into the bedroom where Tyson appears. He says, what's going on? Ghostface enters. He's like, oh shit. And then, yeah, that's where they oh, fight. Ghostface. And then yeah, fights Dewey terrible. as well. He slices Dewey's arm and punches him. And Tyson tackles the killer and he's stabbed in the stomach. Then fake Gale shuts herself in the closet and Gale throws a vase at his head. And then he turns to Gale, but then Jennifer, fake Gale rather, scoots through the back of the closet and Tyson runs out the door and Ghostface follows. Tyson's calling for help and he's running down the stairs. <laughs> and as he's running away from Ghostface, I wrote this down because I loved it so much. He's just like, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he's like cursing the whole way through, yeah. <laughs> like he just sees that he's following him. He's like, oh, you motherfucker. He's still following me. Fuck you, buddy. So Tyson runs down the hallway. Ghostface pulls a rug from under him. They struggle, but eventually he's thrown off the balcony and he's killed. We cut to fake Gale. She's running down the stairs in a passage. She stops at the bottom because Ghostface is there. He pulls a knife. She screams and runs back upstairs and into the hall. She knocks some chairs to the block the way and then she tries to turn the closet wall back to get into the room but it won't but she runs further and discovers two-way mirrors that lead into the next room where dewey is um and so she starts banging on the glass screaming for him but like it's soundproofed and they can only like barely see the mirrors moving i just didn't make sense yeah it's like it's soundproof which is just creepy because it's soundproof to look at a bedroom and lord knows what's going on in these bedrooms but whatever yeah and then um he should have been able to at least see the mirror moving before he eventually does see the mirror Anyways, so Ghostface has come up behind her and is starting to stab and kill her while Dewey is also trying to shoot out the mirrors now and then it's too late. By the time he shoots up the mirror that Jennifer's at, she falls over dead. Ghostface is gone. We cut to a view of outside of the mansion and we see that Tyson is dead. Dewey goes to check out front and that's when uh, Gail gets grabbed, right? Yeah, she gets grabbed and then like in a minute it's going to cut back to Sydney and that's when they all get like grabbed up. Like they have another fight and then Dewey gets like knocked out and they get grabbed. Yeah, so Ghostface has grabbed Gail. Um, they're struggling. He pulls the knife. He screamed, but her screams are muffled. And then she falls down into the basement, lands into a guillotine, and Dummy's head is cut off. Dewey's running around Tyson's dead body. Then he calls Gail. Oh no, Gail calls him on the cell phone and says that she's trapped in the basement with Ghostface. Ghostface is on the stairs, slightly knocked out, I guess. Yeah. And so she's like, come open the door, help me. And then Dewey's like, how do I know that this is not the killer on the phone instead of Gail? Like, we don't have time for this shit. Kind of has a point. He has been imitating everybody the whole way through so I kind of see it. But then uh, Gail looks up and Ghostface stands and pulls out the knife and then we cut to the police station and Detective not Ben Stiller uh, and a few officers are sharing some pizza. Then inside Detective McCreamy's office, Sydney is just reading a book and then she finishes and she throws it on top of the pile. Then she finds a file labeled Sydney Prescott and inside are various pictures and articles about her and as we said before, this does not look like a police file. It looks like a stalker's scrapbook. There are no actual police reports in this, just newspaper clippings and photographs of her from stills of like her on the screen <laughs> so then like she ends up marrying her stalker yeah okay. <laughs> apparently her cell phone rings and it's a killer no gail dewey whoever no it is a killer it, it is, is a killer it is a killer pretty much come meet me here more i'm gonna kill your friends and if you tell the cops i'm gonna kill them yeah exactly so like basically if you attract any attention from the cops because she's taking this call in the police station i will kill all your friends and then he tells her to go to a place where no one else can 
hear her or see her. Then says, it's always hard being friends with you, Sydney. When you're friends with Sydney, you die. Well, these friends don't have to, Sydney. It's up to you. And then she's asking, because he was playing like Gale and Dewey's voices in the background, little clips of them being screaming as if they're distressed. And she's like, how do I know that the voices are real? And then the killer says, how do you know that you're not hearing things? How do you know I'm not someone in your head somewhere you know? What? Another reason for me not to go. Maybe if it's, if it's all in my head, I have no reason to go there, right? Yeah. And then, I don't know. He's just stupid riddles. Uh, I don't want them. I want you. It's simple. Show yourself. They survive. You run. They die. Don't you want to know, Sydney? Don't you want to know who killed her? Don't you want to know who killed your mother? Sydney's like, where? And he's like, she'd have been so happy, Sydney, to know we'd be together. And Sydney's like, where? And he's like, I'll call you when you're on your way. On my way to where? Exactly. Like, what direction do I even start driving it? And I walked here with my dog. I don't really don't have a car, so I don't know how to get there. <laughs> so anyways, she steals Wallace's car keys and then she turns to leave, but she stops. She reads through Wallace's desk. Wallace is non-Ben Stiller. Anyways, uh, and she, wait, how is she going through his desk when she was in the other guy's office? She went into Wallace's office? Because I think she gets up, she walks across, and that's when she sees a bulletproof vest and goes for it. No, she grabs the gun. We don't know about the bulletproof vest yet. So Sydney is pulling into Milton's driveway. She walks by the pool and she sees Ty's body. Phone rings and the killer is like, oh, you follow directions well now use this metal detector that's randomly sitting beside tyson's body and use it on yourself and then they basically Ghostface ensures that she does every part of her body until he finds gun and then he tells her to throw the gun in the pool he tells her to come inside and she's like no fucking way how do i know that my friends aren't even dead already and then he's like well they're inside they're waiting for you look for yourself she sees dewey and gail tied up and she goes in to try to help but then as per usual Ghostface is right behind her and his sparkly goodness just sitting there and just comes out and he backhands her across face. She falls. Sydney pulls out another gun from her ankle. She shoots him five times. He falls. Sydney goes to tape off Gail's mouth and then Gail alerts her that Ghostface is gone. Sid picks up her gun and walks towards the hallway and then Detective McCreamy pops out holding a gun. He says like he heard shots and that Tyson's dead. What's going on? Sydney's like, what are you doing here? He says, looking for you. Tyson said there was a party here tonight. I thought, uh-oh, third act celebration. I thought I'd better check it out. And then Sydney says, alone, where's partner. Detective McCreamy lowers his gun and raises his arms and like, okay, I'm here to help. Please put down your gun, like whatever. Slowly moves forward, closer to her until Ghostface jumps out, pushes Detective McCreamy out of the way, and then Sydney hits her head on Dewey's chair. Ghostface and Detective McDreamy are in a struggle. Well, it was not much of a fight. McDreamy just pretty much gets beat up, hit up against the, the mantle of the fireplace, and then <laughs> left bloody. Yeah. Ghostface kicks the detective in his head, yeah, and up against the mental, then Sid shoots Ghostface, but duck, and then she screams, you want me, motherfucker, come get me. Sid runs, and Ghostface follows her. She tries the door, but it's locked, and so he lunges at her. She dodges. The usual. They're running all around. He goes through some glass. She runs down a hall and locks herself in a room. Ghostface fangs on the door. Sydney notices that there's a light coming from beneath a bookshelf, and so she starts pulling all the books off the shelf, trying to find that secret book. Unlike in the Adams Family, sadly, it's not greed. It's not. It's like a lever, actually. It's like, it's very anticlimactic. She unlocks the door, she goes through, and then we hear Maureen's voice, Sid, I'm in here, please. It's just me, Sid. It's the secrets. There are several couches and a bar. On the screen is a recent movie of Sydney's mother. Oh, oh, recent. Can we really call it recent? No, no, we can't really say recent movie. <laughs> the script says recent, but, uh... Okay. 
Okay. Anyway, so Maureen saying, oh, I was so pretty. Everybody loved me. Have you missed me, Sydney? Then the bloodstained body and like the sheet shows up again. We have some more Nightmare on Elm Street bullshit. Yeah, but this time when they move the sheet, it's Ghostface. This time it is the Ghostface and he shows that he was wearing a bulletproof vest the whole time. Okay, fine. You have like some weird cloak happening. I can believe a bulletproof vest on you. But Sydney? Like, but Sydney? Mm-mm. No. So Sydney's like, who the hell are you? The killer says, the other half of you. I searched for a mother too, the actress named Rena Reynolds. I tried to find her my whole life and four years ago, I actually tracked her down, knocked on her door thinking she'd welcome me with open arms, but she had a new life and a new name, Maureen Prescott. You were the only child she claimed, Sydney. She shut me out in the cold forever. Her own son. He takes off his mask and it's Roman. Then he's silent. Roman continues. Roman Bridger, director and brother. She slammed the door in my face and said I was Rena's child and Rena was dead. It struck me. What a good idea. So I watched her, made a little home movie, a little family film. Seems Maureen, mom, she really got around. I mean, Cotton was one thing. Everybody knew about that. But Billy's father, that was he. Your boyfriend didn't like seeing his daddy in my movie too much. Didn't like it at all. And once I supplied the motivation, all the kid needed was a few pointers. Have a partner to sell out in case you get caught. Find someone to frame. It was like he was making a movie. Sydney says like, you, this is all because of you. And Roman's like, I'm a director, Sid. I direct. And he's not that good as a director. No, he's a terrible director. And like, once you resumed the role of Ghostface, you took all personality away from him. Okay. So Roman's like, I had no idea that they were going to make a film of their own and what a film it turned out to be, huh? I mean, introducing Sydney, the victim, Sydney, the survivor, Sydney, the star. We cut to Dewey escaping his ropes. He goes and he unties Gale uh, and they go get Detective McDreamy. He says to McDreamy that he'll be all right, just apply pressure. And McDreamy is like, take my gun and you get that son of a bitch. Even though I'm going to show up later with another gun somehow. So Sydney's like, fine, you got what you wanted. Hero, villain, face to face. Well, you know what happens now? The villain died. Roman says, exactly. But I'm not the villain, Sid. You are. He then goes and pulls John Milton out of the closet. Out of nowhere. Just like, oh, by the way, I have a Milton in the closet. So let's just do this. We needed to call back to the first film, Sid. We had to find another way. So here he is, the man who gave away your mother's innocence. What he did to her made her a slut, didn't it? She never recovered from that night right here in this room. They fucked her three ways from Sunday. Ruined her life. Ruined yours. Ew, didn't it, Sid? You hate him, Sid? Come on. I know you do. I'm sure you do. Like, no, I don't. As far as she knew, she had the perfect mom until she was murdered. And now, like, all this weird stuff is happening. Yep. <laughs> so she doesn't hate anybody. Roman pulls out a tape recorder and it's Sid's voice on the recorder. It says, I know who you are. I know what happened to my mother and I want you to understand I'm gonna make you pay. So Roman's gonna frame Sydney. So that's what the police are gonna find on Milton's answering machine right next to his lifeless mutilated corpse. So basically the first plan is in part one. We're gonna frame Sydney for the murders and oh, the first one was her dad. Yeah, we're gonna frame the dad in the first one, but now we've decided that it wasn't the dad that we were mad at. We're mad at Sydney and we need to frame her. Anyways, Milton's just like, name your budget and script. I'll give you anything. And he's just like, I already have it. And he slits his throat. He's like, Sid, you did it all. You did it. You killed them all. Even your closet, your closest. I wrote, just read clo- closet instead of closest. That would have been hilarious. Your closet friend. Well, there, there were those undertones in the first one. So, hey. <laughs> okay. So you killed your closest friend. Living in total isolation, the pressure of another movie about you, the discovery, the Milton destroyed mummy dearest. You finally just 
Nat. We then get Gail and Dewey. They're trying to break down the library doors. We cut back to Roman and Sydney, and Roman's still going on about, and who's our hero? The sole survivor, the one who bravely faced down the psychopath and killed her with her own knife. You're going to pay for the life you stole from me, Sid, for the mother and for the family and for the stardom and for, God damn it, everything you had that should have been mine. And Sydney's like, God, why don't you stop whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. He's like, I don't care that I wrote this script twice before. This is the third time I wrote it and I get to perform it this time. Stop ruining <laughs> this for me, all right? I need you to just go with it. I have this whole plan out of my head. Don't try to rush me. And Sydney's like, you know why you kill people, Roman? Do you? And she's like, because you choose to. There's no one else to blame. And he's like, God fucking damn it. And she's like, why don't you take some fucking responsibility? And he's like, fuck <laughs> you. Lunches at her. I hate responsibility. So then they, they are like brother and sister because they're like arguing like brother and sister at this point. <laughs> so, you know, they have their kerfuffles and he's like hitting him in the head with ashtrays. I don't know, whatever. Dewey and Gail are still in the library screaming for Sydney. Roman and Sid still fighting. Roman hits Sydney. Sydney hits Roman. He swings and she ducks but gets up and he backhands her. He slams her face into the bar. He raises the knife but misses her head by centimeters. Dewey and Gail still screaming for Sydney as they try to open this book. <laughs> and back to Sydney and Roman. Uh, she breaks a glass on his head. He falls. She picks up a chair and throws it at him, but he grabs her leg and pulls her down. More screaming for Sydney and then Roman grabs her by the hair and kicks her again and again in the stomach. Not looking good for Sid as he kicks her up and punches her as he's choking her. We still have you screaming hold on like Sydney blah but it's really not looking good until Dewey picks up a pair of tweezers and shoves them into an outlet that's a good idea let me electrocute myself to knock the lights out yeah that's the thing like it doesn't electrocute him at all which makes zero sense but yeah shoves that into outlet which you know causes the power outage in the entire house okay doesn't just shut off one breaker shuts off all all the breakers and then I'm gonna use these tweezers to pick a lock yeah the same tweezers that are electrified now we're gonna use them to pick this lock but then like McDreamy's when they comes in the door right yeah the door opens and a gun is poked through and it's McDreamy. He enters the room. Gets beat up again. <laughs> Beats him up again. Takes his gun and shoots Sydney. I love it. It's Sydney. She grabs his knife though before and she's like did you lose something? He's like nope but I found something and shoots her. <laughs> we think that Sydney's dead because uh, he shoots her twice and then Roman locks the door again and then he turns but Sydney's gone. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then uh, Roman searches the room for her. He can't find her. Sydney's hand reaches up and grabs for an ice bucket with tools in it. Roman knocks over the table He and Sydney grabs an ice pick. Dewey and Gail are trying to find like other doors and they're screaming in the background still. Roman goes over to the bar. He pulls out his phone. He finds Sydney's number and he's about to push send when it rings because Sydney has been dialing his number on her phone. I guess she redialed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you see her go to the uh, to like her previous call or whatever and just like that call. So he looks confused and then suddenly Sydney jumps up screaming and drives the ice pick into his back twice. Apparently she missed the uh, pad that she was supposed to hit and actually hit him in the back with the ice pick. Ouch. That's a real reaction you're seeing. Dude, that can't feel right. Yeah. He screams and falls. Sydney jumps over the bar, lands next to him and throws his knife away. He's like, I shot you. And Sydney pulls up her shirt to reveal her bulletproof press that is way too large to be underneath the shirt she's wearing. Pretty much. I'm watching the movie knowing, remembering the bulletproof vest part and I'm like, all right, she has a bulletproof vest so I can't remember that. There's no way she has one on under the shirt. They make sure to only shoot her where the vest would have been. They shoot her once like in like, I don't know, in the gut or whatever and she falls mm -hmm. down when he goes up 
to like for the kill shot. He goes, I'm gonna shoot you in the shoulder. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But oh, well. So she reviews the bulletproof vest and she's like, I guess we think alike. And Roman's like, mother's dead and there's nothing you can do about that. I still got to make my movie. And Sydney's like, stab three, right? And she raises the ice pack and stabs him in the heart for a third time. Gail and Dewey finally break down that door. I love Gail and Dewey this whole time because you just hear like a comedy from the other side. They're like, hey, try this door. Wait, what's this? Where'd you go? What's happening? Let's try over here. I'm like, what the hell? I want to know what's going on outside. But um, as Sydney is laying there and dying, Dewey says, be careful. Randy said that the killer is always superhuman. And Sydney's like, well, he wasn't superhuman. He wasn't superhuman at all. But then Roman jumps up screaming and Dewey starts shooting him like 10 times in the, in the chest, in the chest, in the, the bulletproof vest that we know is there. But I think bulletproof vests don't work like that. No, they do not. It will take a good part of the impact for you, but like you cannot take that many shots to a bulletproof vest and be perfectly okay. Like if it were like tickling him. Yeah. So then he screams out at him, head, shoot him in the head. And then Dewey finally shoots him in the head. He's finally dead. Dewey thanks her. She says, no problem. Then Detective McCreamy stands up and Sydney leans against the wall. We fade to Sydney's house. Dewey goes out onto the porch and he's carrying a book. Gail is there and they're watching over Sydney with her dog, Daryl Key. Dewey's like, yeah, she's doing great. And then he hands Gail a copy of her book, The Woodboro Murders. And she's like, what are you doing with that? He's like, will you sign it for me? And she's like, you hate that book. Besides, I'm done with that kind of reporting. For real this time. Never again will I ever do this. Except for in Scream 4 when she is the one who has written all the stab movies and all of the books. But, you know, she's done with that. That kind of reporting, I will only be writing fictional, like non-fiction, but kind of fictional accounts of murders from now on. Exactly. No more reporting for me. I'm just going to kind of make things up, but it's all right. Yeah. And he's like, will you sign it for me? And she's like, you're a nut. She takes the book and opens it to reveal an engagement ring. And he asks, will you? And she's like, oh. And then there's the whole part of, I know it'll never work. Uh, you know it'll never work. What I'm asking is if we can see if we're wrong. We don't know everything, Gail. What do you think? But they ended up being right because it didn't work out. Yeah. So she accepts. She puts the ring on the kiss. Uh, we cut to Sydney walking in the gate, smiling. She leaves it open and then walks toward the house. She shuts the door. She goes to punch in the security code, but she stops. She decides not to put it in. Then Detective McDreamy shows up behind her randomly at her house and is like, yep. Sid, we've been waiting for you. We're about to start a movie. And she's like, what kind of movie? And he says, you'll have to come see as he's carrying the popcorn in his one uninjured arm. She walks in to join them. The door blows open behind her. She looks at it and leaves it and walks out of frame. I don't care if you're like, no, this whole thing's over and I'm fine. You don't just let your front door be blown open and leave it open. No, because like nature finds a way. To, maybe she lives out in the middle of nowhere. There could be bears, raccoons, cougars. Who knows what else is going to run in there? Mosquitoes, black flies. Like, <laughs> this whole bunch of things. I understand maybe she closed and maybe doesn't lock it or something would have made would have been cool. Yeah, the like doesn't turn on the alarm was enough for me, you know? No need to not turn the alarm on twice, like not turn it on and then just to ram it home. She leaves the door open. She's just completely unbothered that the door opened on its own and she's not even going to check it. She's just going to leave it. And that's the end of the movie. The end. It's over. That's the way we leave Sydney for the rest of time. And there were no other movies after this. Except for the one we will be <laughs> reviewing next week. <laughs> next week. Um, <laughs> exactly. That's what we'll be reviewing next week. And the one we'll be reviewing the week after that. Yep. And the one we'll be reviewing then, in, a in like a couple months. Besides those, <laughs> no more. Yeah. What was your score for this movie? This movie, I think, like a four? Yeah, I was a five. Actually, I surprised myself by rating it a five. I thought I was going to rate it a lot worse. I thought I really didn't like this film, but it was okay today. I found it more humorous than I had previously. I came in remembering, I like part three. I hear a lot of junk about part three, but I remember enjoying it. You were wrong. And I was wrong. I was wrong. I remember me really not liking two. And then I think I like two better than this, and I don't like two at all. So I don't know if you remember our previous ratings at this point. I do not. <laughs> okay, so for 
Scream 1, I rated it a 9 out of 10, and you were an 8 out of 10. For Scream right. 2, I was 6, you were 5, and then this week we are a 5 and a 4. We're nosediving in this franchise. We really are, in, even though it's my favorite franchise. We have a 37 out of 60, which would be in percentages 61.6% currently this franchise. Let's hope Scream 4 bumps us back up a little bit, but I guarantee you Scream 5 won't. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Scream 5 won't, but I remember enjoying Scream 4. Horror had changed up quite a bit by the time Scream mm-hmm. 4. I remember me thinking like, wow, this really fits where with horror is today. Today being 2000 whatever. Yeah, they did a really good job with it because they looked at where horror was today while still referencing what horror was to the original franchise and doing all these modern references to it, which was really great. And they didn't get too fantastic about it like the whole you know having the psychotic break and seeing your like the psychotic breaks make no sense because we never met maureen so we don't know how she would or wouldn't have acted in these movies it's not like we ever had like in the first one a flashback to like the life before she got murdered or whatever like so like they could have made her do anything now we'd have been like okay i guess that's in out of character i don't know because because as i said she was the perfect mom according to sydney that's all we ever heard from her her acting evil like this now oh that does feel like a nightmare kind of thing Mm -hmm. we don't know because we were never shown what she was like so like this the fantastical thing made no sense to be here and it doesn't bring anything to this movie i don't know the whole ghost bum situation and like i don't know the casting couch thing and like all this like it was just like different ideas shoved together that were not cohesive at all and did not make sense as a movie so what would we do to improve this movie i think scrap 95 percent of the script we'll keep the randy tape <laughs> keep the randy tape uh maybe put her in a daycare center that might help <laughs> maybe that, that'll do it maybe her with children it's all the children they're all the ghost face they're like three years old <laughs> exactly yeah they're all like, who would who could kill a child it's like all these kids i don't even know because like the casting casting made no no need for that like like if you kind of like it's funny because even the randy tape right because mm-hmm. as we know from the scripts we kept on finding that weren't the actual script or from what we were reading Stu was supposed to come back and be like mm-hmm. a cult leader killing people all right mm-hmm. which kind of fits more with the spiritual stuff that you yeah. see in this movie because like he's a cult leader maybe you know that would kind of kind of fits with that because I'm sure that I'm thinking that's play into that more often. and it kind of makes this uh, Randy tape make a little bit more sense too because I'm assuming there's a cult leader I'm guessing it's going to be very cult of Chucky where it's going to be like seven killers or whatever because it's mm-hmm. going to be cult, cult members killing her it's going to be very yeah. oh to bring it back to one of our other movies paranormal activity where Bagul shows up and you know <laughs> a, a whole bunch of ladies coming are trying to um, consider me for whatever reason. his name is Bejeweled, Bejeweled. okay yes, Bejeweled. yes gotta get it right he's the cousin of Bagul Yes, yeah, so Bajula shows up and does that. So I'm like, it's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm like, all right, I see. It's like a Franken, Franken movie. It's just like, all right, this is from here, from here. And I really don't like Harvey Weinstein. We're going to throw this subplot in here, which doesn't bring anything really to the movie, even though it is the motivation. But eh? yeah, it's a poor motivation at this point. And like, why do we always have to go back to slut shaming Sid's mom? And then like, especially for it to be like, oh, well, actually, the reason that she was such a, and I heavy quotes around the slut, was because she was horribly raped and traumatized and but we're not going to explore that aspect <laughs> like we're just going to leave that there to say the, the reason makes her more of a victim than anybody else and still no that's no, not enough no we have to blame her for maybe 15 murders or whatever it is at this point i'm still stuck on how many deaths have we have at this point so 16 in the first movies and nine in this movie all right well you know what it was more fun than i thought it would be it was less fun than i thought it would be but it was fun to get back to chatting about it no oh that part's amazing that's been my favorite part of this terrible movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> talk about it again. That's, I've missed this. I have missed it too. But we will be coming back, our friends. We are excited to be back. Yes. We, as you will be hearing in our updates, we're going to have a, a slightly different schedule, but mm. we are happy to be doing something again. Yeah, it'll be a little bit more probably spaced out. The tentative plan is to finish off Scream as much as we can. We don't know how Six is going to be releasing at home. So depending on all that stuff. And then a whole bunch of cleanup stuff because, you know, there's a new Saw movie that we never got to. A Paranormal yep. Activity movie we hadn't got to. And uh, and the Conjuring movie. The movie that broke us. We'll be having a very special episode for that that movie. I don't want to watch that one again. I only watched like 20 minutes of it and I don't want to watch it again either. That was a harder watch than this one. I gotta say that. Yeah, I bet. But we'll get to it one of these days, friends, and we're excited to do it with you. Yeah. Well, what else do we have to say to wrap this thing up, Jeff? It's been so long. <laughs> what do we say? Time. What do we say? All right, let's see. Well, uh, next week or next time, or we don't even know what the hell. We don't even know what next time is going to be yet, do we? Um, next time is going to be something. I mean, technically, in order of that, they're listening. They'll be listening to Scream Four in the order yeah. that we're recording. We'll be recording. Who knows what? But. Who knows what next? But yes, so Scream Four should be the next thing you guys will hear. Um, we are also going to continue Yellow Jacket. Ready for season two? I'm so excited for this next season with Elijah Wood and Lauren Ambrose. I fucking love Lauren Ambrose. In the meantime, you can always find us on social media. You can join our Facebook group or us on Instagram at Series of Horrors. You can always send us an email, right, Josh? Yes. If you have something you anything. need to tell us privately. Yes, anything you want to tell us publicly or what? What we publicly? It'll be private. It'd be Series of Horrors at gmail.com. You know, just want to welcome us back. That'd be awesome. Just say, hey, welcome back. Great. Hopefully we get enough letters. Eventually we might do a letters thing. That'd be awesome. Yeah. If anyone writes in or does a review, we could always read those out. Well, read those out. Yes. Um, so we're on everything. Uh, Apple, Spotify, all stuff. Rate, review. Tell people we're back. That's where the news we're coming back. And we're, we're here. So we're happy and excited to bring back these horror franchises. And we have a bunch of ideas in the works. So many ideas. So, so little time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But we're going we're to try our best to bring most of these ideas to life and but still consistency is key that is the, that is plan one right now plan one is to get back and get you episodes <laughs> at a regular basis <laughs> that's our first plan and then we'll slowly unleash the rest of our right. madness on you <laughs> great to be back Jackie I've missed these conversations I can't wait to be having them more and more often same here yes alright friends we'll see you next time yeah see you next week have a good one good to see you guys again bye now